Welcome to SkyCast episode 53, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 7, episode 10, A Little Sacrifice. So, as always, how did you feel about this episode? Um, I still don't really know. So there are a lot of things about this episode that I really liked. There was a lot that I didn't. I will say I, I feel like I enjoyed it more the second time around that we watched it but at the same time it just keeps sticking in my head that like this is episode 10 it's episode 10 and if you think back to like last season or even season five like so much had happened up to episode 10 you know like that was essentially most of the season um whereas for this season it just feels like there has been so much set up so slowly moving towards something that I'm assuming we're going to get to in the last two episodes. Um, and I, I don't know. I just like want things to move. And you know what I don't really want to move at all or care about or ever see again? The Sanctum, Sanctum. Online. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I also enjoyed it a lot more the second time around, but I think that is purely based on what my expectations were. And again, I don't, it's not like, I have really high expectations for this show at this point in the series. It's more of just like I lament the potential of what these episodes could be. I think very it still stings very deeply for me. I actually like was so frustrated after watching this the first time that I like kind of choked up a little bit. Like yeah. I was just so <laughs> I'm just so tired of watching this show and feeling like it's missing the mark in its final season and it's very disappointing and very depressing for me. Um there were a lot more moments that stood out to me as positive the second time around, but I still feel like overall the episode feels very meh. Like, I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a standout episode for me in any way, um, but I do think there is a lot to talk about here. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, that that should be stated up front. Like, there's a lot to say here. Yeah, I I would agree. And I mean, like, yeah, we definitely, it's a long podcast. Although we sometimes say that and it's like, it ends up being our shortest one yet. So we'll see. But I did want to mention up top too, we got some really wonderful emails um, this week, particularly from Catherine and Jay. Uh, Thank you both so much for writing in. We're actually going to incorporate some of your points into the middle of this um, podcast, uh, just because I think there are some really relevant things that you called out and we want to talk about them. So thank you again. If you guys want to email us, you can at skycastcrew, um, S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. And also thank you so much, Hannah MS, for your amazing review. Yeah. Uh, we we did promise we would talk about it at the front of the episode. Yeah, we did. Uh, (laughs) Thank you again. Like we really appreciate it and you're amazing. Um, And yeah, just a reminder before we get into the recap, please take a moment and go rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The 100 find us, so go do that right now. That would be great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, let's get into it. All right. So after his massacre of the faithful, Shaheda escapes the palace and goes to find Maddie in the tavern. He wants to kill her, but doesn't want to cause the trouble with those loyal to Indra, and so instead he threatens her and forces her to kneel for him. Yeah, so, so glad we discovered that secret <laughs> passage last time, like... It's not like that was a contrived plot. Also, like, 
I'm sorry, Indra just left Shadeheda in there when there was like a secret passage where you could just easily run out also, of. I love how she runs in and she's like, where did he go? And it's like, <laughs> he went through the secret passage where Obviously. he brought you through. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> uh, I mean, the whole thing, that, that just whole thing was ridiculous. Well, it was ridiculous because again, and I think we didn't, we were talking around this last time, but I don't think I had quite put into words what was really bothering me about this is that Indra was being stupid. Yeah. And that is out of character for her. Agreed. Um, and this was a continuation of that, of her being stupid, and it's very annoying. Yep. Um, it is, <laughs> I feel a little bad for saying this, but the only real good thing that I found about last episode's uh, Sanctum plotline was that, thank God, we don't have to deal with the faithful anymore. But it turns out he didn't really massacre all of them. Like, the, the, the Jerry guy was, like, so dramatic. He was like, to Murphy, he was like, take care of my kid. And then, like, an hour later, at the end <laughs> of the episode, he's just up walking around like, like, okay, drama queen. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I It's it's not that he massacred them. He just disabled he, them. He just, like, blooded them a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we see... Uh, we switch over to Maddie, and she's like, it looks like she's having a shot. Her and Picasso. Had a rough day, <laughs> five o'clock somewhere. And, um, you know, I, I'm left thinking, like, why did they leave her unguarded? She's, like, all alone. She's, like, basically essentially there in the tavern with only Sanctum civilians. And I'm just like, yeah, that seems like a really smart idea. Yeah, um, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't think that they thought they needed to guard her i mean i i think it was like you said stupid um that endra just assumed that the faithful these like untrained previously peaceful group of people could take out one of the most terrifying commanders if not the most terrifying commander of all time uh from the grounders um so I think, like, leaving Maddie unguarded, she'd been unguarded all this time. Um, she didn't need to have a guard on her. Um, and that was probably a, you know, they should have, obviously, since Indra then later knew that Shadeheda was back and probably would want to go after Maddie. But they chose not to. And um, that's where this got them. Yeah, <laughs> no, I episode. mean, it's just, like, more of a continuation of really stupid choices, which I question. Um, I also wanted to note that, you know, J.R. Bourne showing up as Shade Hutta. He looks absolutely terrifying, cloaked in this these red streaks of blood all over him. And again, it's red. Like, none of this blood is his. And it's a really good reminder that, like, he didn't even bleed. I mean, not surprised, number one. Number two, I must know, did Trey die? Can you at least give me that show? You know, like I ask so little from you. <laughs> I think we should assume the opposite here. Usually it's like nobody, no, no nobody, death. No death. I know. But I feel for this one, like no Trey. I'm just going to assume he's dead. Oh, oh, okay. That's good. I like I, that. We're going to reverse it. And then when he comes back eventually, we're going to be like, damn it. I, for, I mean, like where else would he be? But for now, let's just assume he's dead <laughs> to give us something to live for. Um. Also, I just had to say like, get your bloody hands off my bloody dog don't touch my baby picasso and ruin his beautiful fur picasso's the goodest boy he immediately recognizes that russell is not russell essentially like even though russell was his like owner yeah um and he's barking at shadehetta to protect maddie his Mm -hmm. new mom and i just what a good boy he's the goodest yeah goodest boy um i just want to note here so murphy uh mentioned in a previous episode that shadehetta doesn't like women 
Uh, and we kind of talked about that at the time. But honestly, the more I see of Shade Hedda, the, the more I just don't really feel like that's super true. Yeah. Like, he doesn't, to me, come across as, like, sexist or misogynistic. Um, he kind of just seems like a megalomaniac who equally dislikes men and women who stand in his way. I like, agree. He's, like, an e- equal opportunity. Yeah. So I, like, have to think back to that line, and I'm like, was that just a cheap way to make us dislike him even more? Um, because I don't think that it even needed to be there in the first place. Like, I, I don't believe he understands what love is, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he hates women. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. And I also think, um, I think the purpose of it at the time was to really underline the dis- the um, difference between him and Murphy, yeah. who had a woman in his life who he truly adores. Um, and so like Russell couldn't relate to that at all and was using that as a weapon against Murphy. Yeah. Um, I agree with you though, that like, I like categorically don't see him as like undervaluing women. I mean, if anything, like he is so aware of like what an opponent and what a threat that Indra and both Maddie pose to him Mm -hmm. that he almost overpowers gives like more power to women in his like circle than he does to the men that are around. He feels more threatened by women. I mean, I, I do think that he genuinely respects Indra. I, I agree. <laughs> uh, she's in his way, but I think yeah. he considers her a formidable opponent. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So this scene, I did really like it. This got released early on and it, it made me more excited for the episode. Um, unfortunately, this for me is like the best scene that the episode gets in far as far as Sanctum goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say like, poor Maddie, this girl has been through so much, but she just keeps being tormented by this guy. Um, and she's had to deal with her guilt once at, you know, failing to contain him. Um, and now again, she's like, you know, forced to kneel for him. And I think that she's really gonna take that to heart as like she's weak and that she failed um or maybe not maybe that was just like off screen this episode and then she kind of came back in the end like stronger than ever but I I think that I feel like personally this is gonna really affect her I hope so I I would hope that like whatever she's internalizing in this scene is not reconciled with off screen and Mm -hmm. I I would really hope that in this show that is so much about the consequences of power and losing power and you know, power dynamics shifting that it would sh- properly show what that would do to a 14 year old kid. You know, like yeah. I, I want to see, I don't want to see it, but like, I, I would hope that the show would show that. Um, and then of course, finally, has there ever been someone who loves to hear himself speak more than Shade had? <laughs> no, like his threat to Maddie, cut out the hearts of everyone you love and feed them to your dog. <laughs> it's true that J.R. Bourne, like really, like he could chew up a scene. Yeah. Like, I mean, he is like putting so much emphasis on those syllables. He it, made a whole meal of that threat. <laughs> way big, way big meal, like Thanksgiving size meal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, the most melodramatic of all. He, I love it. He is. I mean, I wish, I wish that I loved it more. Like I do enjoy how ridiculous he is. Yeah. But I, I like, again, it's, it's like, I, I'm not enjoying, I, I'm like laughing at it, not like with him, you know, like, and I, I found this line so cheesy. I laughed out loud. Like, oh really? Suppo- I actually don't. You're I actually would have been think scared. It's funny. <laughs> I didn't think it was funny. I mean, he's. I. I believe him. I believe um, him too. I just, there were like, other lines in this episode that I was like, "This is really cheesy." But this one, I'm like, you know what? That's a really good threat. <laughs> you would get me too, sir. <laughs> yeah, that would work on me. I just like, I don't know. 
I'm very disengaged emotionally. I, I, think, I think the problem is, is I'm disengaged with the Sanctum plotline. I still feel like J.R. Bourne is really an, enigmat- an enigmatic actor. Actor. Yes. Um, an artiste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the whole Sanctum plotline that he's like kind of stuck in is really boring and I I don't feel like they're even properly utilizing Shade had to the potential that he could have been used. You oh, know? I agree completely. I also think they're like totally underutilizing J.R. Bourne and his talents because he has such great range. I think it's a real pity that they, I mean, like, I know they had to do this for like plot reasons, but they, that they had to reveal him, but I so much more enjoyed him playing Russell as Shade Hedda than just him being full on Shade Hedda. Like mm-hmm. that was such a much in, more interesting character decision, like the decisions he was making as an actor because he had, he could do this like double role. Yeah. Um, that was so much more enjoyable and interesting to me than this just like megalomaniac, maniacal, crazy person. Um, I mean, we talked last season um, about Josephine and how we kind of saw her as like the most evil of all the villains that the show has faced. Yeah. Um, she was straight up murdering babies. Um, but as far as like Josephine being evil was concerned, she was still really fascinating to like learn more about whereas Shade Hedda is also like on that like super evil spectrum but the problem with him is that there's there's no real um complexity there yeah and I think a lot of that goes down to motivation like Josephine's motivation was her selfishness Mm -hmm. and that is like straight up crazy like you know it's it's fascinating because you're like how can you be human and have like all these people you care about and yet still have the like disassociativeness to like distinguish between you know like like go out and murder babies Mm -hmm. like what what makes you tick um with with Shade Hedda it's very much like your motivation is you want power there's nothing interesting about that I mean that's just so like standard yeah um and so I think that is one of the key differences is is their motivations are very different even though they are both quote-unquote evil um, she was so much more interesting to like sort of like under uncover what made her tick. Mm-hmm. Thoughts so, on that? Yeah. <laughs> so on Bardo, Clark and Co are surprised to find that Echo, Octavia, and Dioza don't seem to want to leave. She makes a deal with Cadigan that she'll only help them if she talks to her friends and is able to get them off of Bardo. Elsewhere, Hope is in her cell waiting to be sent to penance when Echo comes in and reveals that her quote-unquote brainwashed persona was a ploy and that she's going to kill everyone on Bardo. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of me dunking on Cadigan, as he so rightly deserves, (laughs) um, which is truly my favorite thing out of this whole episode, is just (laughs) watching Cadigan be an epic idiot. Um, I I love how he's like, (laughs) they're they're not my prisoners. They're free to do whatever they want. It's like, you buffoon. Like, they've been here for three months these are their friends of like 10 plus years like you can't undo those bonds in three months and it's just like very much proves that he is completely disconnected from his own humanity like he's forgotten what it means and feels like to have a family which I'll talk about a little bit later um him like forgetting this and being alive quote-unquote for centuries we'll get to that yeah um but yeah, like I I do agree that it was a little bit of hubris, but I also kind of think like he doesn't really care as much because he sees the light at the end of the tunnel for him. Mm-hmm. 
which is this last war that he wants to start. And the key. And, like, yes, like, theoretically, like, they would be great soldiers to have, but, like, he is much more concerned with, like, having the key now and starting the war than he is with, like, maintaining these three soldiers in particular. Oh, sure. No, this so, was like, just, like, a side note of me being like, wow, you just have no fucking clue. <laughs> uh, and I do love when Echo is like, we, we've got a war to fight. We're staying. Octavia kind of, like, looks... She doesn't, like, turn her head much, but she does, like, turn her eyes a little toward Echo. And, like, you can see her face tighten, and she's like, what the fuck yeah, she's <laughs> is going on? Steaming. Yeah. Head. Steaming. She's pissed. <laughs> um... I loved watching Clark improvise plan after plan in this scene as she, you know, takes in information and reassesses their position. And it felt like the Clark that I've been missing all season um, was back a little bit. And I feel like we got a little bit of like her spark back in this episode, mm-hmm. the, the the Eliza energy that I've been missing so badly. It felt it felt a little bit of that energy was here, um, and it felt really good. Yeah, it's just like the dire situations where Clark is immediately able to take charge, figure out what needs to be done, um, and she's she's taking out prisoners. And I, I love that about Clark. I will always love that about Clark. I feel like we lost a lot of that earlier this season for many reasons, some of which I'm sure I don't even know. Um, but it did. I did really feel like... As, as much as I wish that maybe Clark was more in this episode, even than she was, she still kind of felt like she was in the background a little bit. Yeah. Um, but from what we did see of her, I thought it was some of the stronger, like, real Clark stuff that we were getting this season. Yeah, I agree. And she has a great line to Kat again. Um, she says, you want my help? Earn it. Which, again, I just love when she, like, drops these bombs. Yeah. You know, it's like, you never know what she's going to say. Cause, and it's always so good. Yeah. It just is Agreed. so good. Um, although it is funny, <laughs> you sent me a tweet from like the hundred CW account oh God. that was like, they'll have to earn her help. And you were like, who the hell writes these things? It worked and in you know what? the scene. Yeah. I'm going to say it does work in the scene. It did not work in a tweet to like, um, promote this episode. And again, my, if we go back to my like, like year long, years long conspiracy theory that they are trying to sabotage <laughs> their own show through social media. I, I mean, have the receipts. They can't sabotage it anymore because the show's done. So Yeah, but it, it's, it's like, never mind. <laughs> I, if, if anyone's interested in my conspiracy theory, please email me because I can go on for a long time. Um, anyway, I also thought it was worth noting that, you know, Anders shows a little bit, I wouldn't even go as far to say it was disobedience, but I would say it would be uh, insubordination. Insubordination, <laughs> sure. Um, and Bill just, like, has no patience for it. And it's clear that he doesn't value Anders at all. He doesn't value his opinions. He doesn't about, He doesn't value his devotion. He literally looks at him like a pawn. I was going to say a cog in the machine. To be fair, I don't think Cadigan values anyone else's opinions but his own. Oh, I completely agree with that. But it's like, no even if you are the most devout, the most the head disciple, sa- sa- you know, sacrifice everything your whole life to the cause, your his cause, like it, it doesn't matter to him. Yeah, I mean, um, he's, he's again given up what makes him human. Yeah, he's so. a complete sociopath yeah. at this point. Uh, I will say, like, talking about lines that were really cheesy, Bad. I hated Miller's get the flock out of here line. It was painfully bad. It was painfully bad. It truly hurt. I was like, what were you guys smoking in the writer's room? Like, they're why tired. is that funny? That's not funny. They, they think it's funny. I think they're real they tired. <laughs> they are tired, to be fair. Yeah, they're tired. Yeah. 
Um, I do love how quickly Clark Screwball figures out that Dio's Echo and Octavia aren't on the Disciples' side because they never to- told them that um, Clark still had the flame. Yeah, it was a very cute Or little, didn't have the a, flame. A little powwow. Yeah, I mean, like, and it was, like, like that immediately. They Lightning were like, well, obviously speed. this is what yeah. must be happening. Um, and so they, they worked that out quickly. And then, you know, Gabriel's explaining MCAP and how they, like, even knew that Clark at once had the flame to begin with. And Raven's like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. And I like that, like, even in moments like this, Raven cannot help but marvel at technology. Yeah, <laughs> that felt like a really cute little character nugget for her. Those are the kinds of things that, like, ground our characters and make them feel like the ones that the, the people we've been living with for so long. Mm-hmm. I really like that, too. And I also love, like, you know, they have this little powwow. They have all the information that they need. Clark comes up with the plan on the fly, as you do, and then, you know, issues out all of her orders. And the rest of them just follow her without any hesitation or question. And it's, like, because she's just, like, that damn good and that damn inspiring, there's really no reason for them to question it at this point, you know? Like, they're just – it's de facto. I mean, she's like, even, even Gabriel, who, like, has no real reason – to have you know Clark as his leader immediately just like falls in line <laughs> exactly because she's just very compelling yeah um and then Clark gives a line here let's go find out what the three most dangerous women on this or any planet are up to uh which is really cute and you know really it was a great line but like let's all be honest Clark is definitely in the top three most dangerous women maybe the top one given how she is somehow able to scrape out of any situation alive and as the victor you know <laughs> no it's true I think from a physical or physicality standpoint I think you could maybe give it to those three women I mean like in terms of just like their fighting skills sure they're better fighters I'm sure than Clark is but I don't think that that matters when Clark doesn't need fighting skills to constantly win exactly (laughs) Clark is is superior in, in almost every way um I did think this was a good point to bring up Jay's email here um so Jay wrote in and talked about a lot of things but one of one of the nuggets that we wanted to call out was this section here and again I'm just going to read it verbatim because we don't want to put any of our like editorial sensibilities on here so Jay says I want to touch on gay issues Miller and Nyla have been with us from early days but have not had any character progression or stories of their own yet we have Nikki Nelson etc taking up airtime Jason should know better than teasing his LGBT audience after Alexa and yet we get these odd scenes with Gaia and Clark and then Gaia disappears and so, like, again, it doesn't really quite fit in this scene, but it was the only scene that had um, N- Miller and Nyla together. And so we definitely wanted to touch on this because you're absolutely fucking right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, that's a good point. I and mean, we talk about it, but, like, can't be said enough. Yeah. I mean, let me just talk about – I have a couple things to say here. Go for it. First off, let's talk about the Miller of it all. Yeah. Um, and the actor who played him, what's his name? Do you remember? Yes. Okay, well, the actor who plays Miller um, did recently give an interview where he talks about how disappointed that he was in the way that Miller was treated throughout the seven seasons of the show because he was there from, you know, very early on, if not episode one, and he never really became a character, you know, like he we never really got insight into Miller's head. Jared Joseph. Jared Joseph. Thank you. Um, and that's problematic on several levels. One, him being a black man, you know, two, him 
portraying a gay character. Um, there's there was uh, there could have been so many things that they chose to do with Miller, but instead they introduced a bunch of you know new characters every season and brought them in and constantly were focusing on them and Miller always got pushed to the wayside. In fact, I barely even knew who Miller was until um, season four when he was just kind of like with the group and I was like, oh, I guess he's like been here a while, hasn't he? Like I felt kind of the same way about Harper. Like yeah. I didn't really recognize Harper much until she um, kissed Monty. Like, I knew that she was there, but she just, like, didn't seem like someone I should care about, you yeah, know? Yeah, at that point, there ha- were so much so many more delinquents from the original 100 group mm-hmm. that it was a lot harder to keep track of anybody. It wasn't until they kept distilling and killing off the original 100 group that they finally were able to, like, identify specific people outside of, like, our core group. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's such a sad fate for Miller's character because it is a really interesting position for him to be I would say like military inclined um or like at least uh I mean he's a soldier yeah so yes exactly military inclined and like you know there are so many and you know multitude of ways of being gay and expressing yourself there is no one way to be anything and like I think it's really it would have been a really interesting representation um to see that on the screen and not have it be and have it be a Mm non-issue um had they taken the time and really given him a worthwhile relationship I don't think any of his love interests have been particularly well suited for him both as far as just like like chemistry tests and also the storylines that like surrounded them didn't really bring anything to his character Uh, I mean Brian was like questionable but there was like a lot of other stuff going on in that season that I think it got it could have been like a lot better served Mm -hmm. um and it's just a it's a pity because there's a lot of really great stuff there and they could have done they could have gone in a lot of really different directions and I it's, I just wish there would have been more representation. Yeah, I must say I never I this is like I feel like this is sacrilege in this um community but I don't really think Miller and Jackson have a lot of chemistry or are, are well suited to each no, other I, and I, I, I think that that's partially just because again Miller has been severely underserved as a character I mean honestly so was Jackson but that's a whole other discussion um but I mean I I wholly agree and this is something that I've been feeling for a long time that they just dropped the ball with Miller I don't know if that's a different conversation because that felt like a retcon to me when they when Jackson and Miller got together and it was like oh Jackson's also gay but it was like we'd known Jackson for what five six seasons at that point and we're like how come we didn't know this before well, I don't think that's necessarily fair to say because I don't think that being gay or like, you know, falling somewhere on the queer spectrum, on the queer spectrum means that that has to be like the thing that you call out all the time. Like if oh, he's no. not dating anyone or if he's not talking about like who he's interested in, um, I don't think we really needed to see that. But at the same time, I will say the guy who plays Jackson, Suchin, yeah. um, he had mentioned a long time ago before they or as they were, you know, switching into his character being gay and, and being interested in Miller, that he'd always seen Jackson as Ace, Ace Aero. Right. Um, and so, like, that's kind of the way he'd been portraying him. And I do think that, obviously, I, I don't, like, necessarily want to call it a retcon, but I will say, like, he hadn't necessarily gone into this portraying Jackson um, on, well, I guess he still would have been on the queer spectrum, but yeah. portraying Jackson in that way. 
is that a big deal? No, I don't think it really is. Um, I think that the Jackson and Miller relationship could have been something much more interesting. Uh, they could have delved more into, you know, the, the arguments that Jackson and Miller have been having even this season with, um, you know, Jackson thinking you have know, somewhere subconsciously deep down that Miller is much mo more okay with violence than him. And in many ways, it That's almost seems like Jackson feels like he's elevated above that well, or at least should be. Exactly. I think it would be really interesting to have somebody who like quote unquote is a pacifist with very violent urges this season be romantic with someone who is militant but is much more exercises a lot of caution but who also is regretful right. of the things that they've right. done but exactly. like even vice versa even back when miller was the one being octavia's like right hand man um how did jackson feel about that like i think there was a lot we could have explored there that we just didn't and i'll just you know we can stop yeah. harping on that because i still want to talk about nyla yeah. and gaia but i feel very very icky about everything they've done with miller over the last seven seasons yes exactly. um let's talk about nyla because you guys know how much i loved nyla um i definitely love her less as a character now i'm less interested in her now because they've made how, me so there's nothing interesting about well her that's now. what i'm saying i think before she had this like really beautiful softness and um openness and vulnerability that I really appreciated in her character and, and, and what she brought to um, like Clark and some of the other main characters. You guys know how hard I shipped Nyla and Octavia and I still feel like they really missed an opportunity there. That could have been great yeah. um, to again add more um, queer characters on the show um, and more queer relationships because you know as it stands we, we haven't seen a lot even though um, Eliza or, or um Clark is a, a queer woman, yeah. but you know, she's always saving the world. So <laughs> there's not enough time to just sit down and have a relationship. Um, but Octavia and Nyla could have been great. But like ever since we had the time jump and Nyla was in the bunker, she turned into this like super like robot, like a robotic, but like, um, she, she really did a 180 from the kind of person that she used to be, which is fair. Like everyone changed in the bunker, but we just never got to see what made her that way or even delve into the kind of person that she was after, um, you know, after believing, you know, all of Octavia's godliness or <laughs> what was her name? The blood queen, blood Raina, like all of her blood Rainaness. um, it, there was just a lot more that we could have explored there and like what happened to Nyla in the bunker, why she changed. Uh, and now at this point, I'm kind of just like, why is Nyla here? Well, that's what she's was, just taking up space. That's what I was just going to say is I feel like because she's Richard Harmon's sister, they did not kill her off. Yeah. But they should have. Well, no, I do not think they should have killed off another queer character. Okay. Okay. They Absolutely not. Okay. That's fair. They should have written her off. I don't think that's true either. I think they should have made her more important. Well, okay. I think instead of introducing all of these new characters, which I will say Gabriel, love him. I'm so glad they introduced him. But like there are a lot of other new characters that we just don't necessarily need. Um, and Nyla could have filled a really great role for Octavia and just for like the queer community in general. I 100% agree with you. If they weren't going to do that, then she doesn't need to be taking up space. Right, but I'm I'm more of saying like it's more of it was on them for not doing it yeah, because she they, they she had so much more potential. Yeah, I hear that. Let's talk about Gaia. <laughs> oh my God, man. So Gaia is someone that I've always like really questioned. I wasn't really sure who she was, what she wanted, because I feel like she really um, would fluctuate just from episode to episode, um, not necessarily for herself, but for like, I would see her going in one direction and then she'd change. And it was just hard for me to like really 
get a good glimpse of who she was at her core. Um, and we started to this season, and I really loved, you know, the way that they opened up, um, exploring more of Gaia and exploring her relationship with Indra um, and even her relationship with Clark. I mean, I personally, again, like we said, I didn't see romantic chemistry in those scenes and I wouldn't have even noticed it had the script not come out that made it seem like that um so I still don't know if Gaia is supposed to be queer or not or you know how much that really even matters um but Gaia is a character again another really interesting black woman a spiritual black woman um they could have done more with and I know we've been beating this this email <laughs> to, like a dead horse at this point but there are just a lot of characters, like you said um, a little bit earlier, you are lamenting in this last season all of the potential that certain characters and relationships had that they have given up um, for plots and not just this season, for many seasons now. I mean, you know, like I, I loved a lot of last season, but there were still things that I would have pushed differently. Um, yeah. And then this season, they've really just gone off the edge of like not being able to show the character moments that we really care about, at least not enough of them. Well, and especially in a season where you need that catharsis. Yeah. Because it's the it's last, the last one. season. Yeah. Um, and so I agree with you. And I think, uh, I think, you know, Jay, thank you for writing this email. I think it's really important to highlight these three characters specifically, but there are a lot of others on the show that have been underserved. Yeah. Um, but I think specifically from the lens of gay rights and gay representation, um, yeah, for a show that I think started off very progressive back in season one with a lot of potential, I think they have in a lot of ways underserved and let down that community. And I, I fully I fully see that. Yeah, I mean, it's not enough to just have your main character be by. Um, right. That's a starting point. That's a great starting point. I think it's incredibly important. But I think showing queer relationships of all kinds uh, is you know just as important and we really just haven't got to see many of them I, I mean even the ones we did I mean hell with like Clark and Lexa Lexa died right I was just um, gonna say and it's also equally important for them to have like positive experiences because I haven't seen one yet well I mean technically Miller and Jackson I mean I I, I feel yeah. like they're gonna come out you know alive at the end of the season and still be together I just don't think it's that interesting yeah but I, <laughs> I mean like positive in a way that's like are they happy I mean no one on the show is happy they're in the middle of a, an apocalypse but I mean, it's just not, it does not satisfy. Yeah. Um, so I don't, it doesn't count. I, I think, me. I don't think it necessarily means they need to be happy, but I would right. like to see them actually explore issues that they're having yeah. together and either, you know, break up or come out on the other side stronger. Yep. Um, and with that, I'm going to stop, <laughs> stop killing this email to death, killing it to death. <laughs> Jay, thank you very yeah. much. Okay. So switching gears here. Um, I know don't even remember what we were talking about um <laughs> but it's like the first scene back on bardo oh yeah we, it's when uh, uh hope is chilling out in her cell yeah yeah um and echo comes in yes exactly and reveals that she really isn't brainwashed and hope is like what you mean you've been lying this entire time what are you like some kind of spy <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, Duh. it was ridiculous that Hope, you know, believed Echo. But at the same time, I think Hope has the least experience out of all of these women with um, the kind, like the, 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 
the, the kinds of things that Echo is capable of, I guess. Like, she's heard from Octavia's stories, but she's never really seen it in action because, you know, even when they were living together for five years, like, they were kind of on the same side. They were going toward the same goal. Um, but with this, uh, it was very unclear. Honestly, I, I personally think even uh, Octavia and Dioza aren't 100% certain where Echo's head is. Yeah. Um, I think they've been a little bit uncertain ever since Echo kind of turned around and shot all of them in one of their tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I understand why Hope would be shocked, especially because Echo just kind of ordered her to have five years on, on penance, which, again, like, when we think about it from Echo's side, like, it all makes sense. But, I mean, I'm not, I shouldn't be defending Hope because, honestly, like, I'm so irritated I by Hope. I was just going to say, I think my bigger problem is – a compounded issue of like hope being obstinately stupid or willfully ignorant about this um and about her choices and her actions in this situation and also the fact that like at no point did any of three of them just like intimate to her that like hey get on board you know that would have been that feels like such an easy workaround here i mean it it did seem like they tried last episode but like you could have tried harder it, it's really stupid. Um, you can tell from the start here that Hope is not disturbed by Echo's plan to murder them all. Like, no, she's In the board. slightest. Like, it's very much in line with what Echo was willing to, or what Hope was willing to let her mother do um, in the simulation that Hope was in. Mm-hmm. Um, Hope's down with it. Yeah. Yep. I, I personally will admit that I did expect Echo's plan to be a bit um, better or, like, more intricate. Like, this is almost, like, too easy. It's like a snatch and bash job you know like we knew that Chekhov's bioweapon would be used but I don't know it's just kind of like okay I guess that's that's the plan um and it did seem like you know why now why not earlier was it just because now she's officially a disciple and they're gonna like stop watching her as much um was she planning on even waiting surely she wasn't planning on letting hope go to penance um so I guess this was kind of like just everything coalesced in one moment with like her having to, you know, step up and do her plan now that Hope is about to be sent to a prison planet. And also like Clark's group came at the same time. Yeah, well, that's what I was just going to ask you is if you thought it was a coincidence that she planned this on the same day that the others arrived. I guess I don't I don't think she necessarily planned this for a day. I think that she was going to be pushed to do it because she had to, you know, sentence Hope to penance. And then Clark's friends just happened to show up as well. And yeah, well, I, I take issue with that. I take issue with the fact that they, like, that writers timed it so that both of these things, like, simultaneously occurred on the same day. I just think that's cheap. That doesn't necessarily bother me as much. Is it just, like, this idea that she couldn't do it any time before now? Like, she couldn't go to Levitt's room and torture him um, and get the... The weapon, I guess, I guess maybe it really was just like they were under more surveillance before they were officially indoctrinated, quote I don't unquote. Know. I, 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 so whatever it was, I mean, that's what I'm happened. Not, I'm and, not in a generous mood. I'm, um, not, I'm not giving it to them. And I will say, like, if this was what she was planning to do all along, then why did what Hope said to her in the simulation that she was, like, betraying Bellamy by working with them and that Hope wanted to kill everyone, it really seemed to, like, affect her. Yeah. Um, Which I don't understand. And I... I 
I don't, I feel like that's like almost a little bit retconny here, even though I know that they knew what they were doing with Echo. Um, perhaps they just didn't give the actress, you know, good enough direction to be able to play these scenes Maybe. or they instructed her to like misdirect the audience, which is also irritating. Maybe. And I also think, again, a generous interpretation would be less about her relationship to Bellamy and more about her relationship to Hope and Dioza and Octavia and the fact that she has sacrificed her relationship with them in order to pursue a mission when she could have been part of a family. And I think a lot of that grief um, could be interpreted as like more about hope and the rest of them than it is about her and Bellamy. But again, I think I could go either way on that. Yeah, I don't necessarily see Echo feeling like she's sacrificing her familial relationships. I think, like, right now she's just so one-track mind. Um, but I just, I have a hard time believing that Echo realized she was in a simulation. I have a hard time with all three of them. I just don't feel like it was played that way. Um, so I'm still just going to say, like, I think that was maybe some poor writing or poor acting. Whatever the case was, I'm not sure. But Or poor directing. Or all three. Yeah. <laughs> So Murphy and Amori find Maddie while Indra rushes off to find Shadeheda, who has been broadcasting his return over the palace intercom. In Don Bardo, Cadigan shows Jordan, Gabriel, and Nyla the logs that the extinct Bardoans population left behind, logs that when translated tell of the quote-unquote last war that the disciples have been preparing for. Mm-hmm. So starting out um, with the Sanctum stuff, I just feel like in every episode um, that like, is about Sanctum, which is like almost all of them, there's always so much plot. Like, first we're in the, the throne room, then we're at the tavern, then we're back to the palace, and then, oh my god, it's like, just consolidate, for fuck's sake. Like, it's very hard to keep track of. It just feels like they're running out the clock. It's very frustrating. I don't care. Just sit down. Do your do your plot. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always ways to consolidate plot. Um, they could have just, instead of, like, having Indra trying to find Chaitetta... She could have just found Chaitetta, you know? Like, we didn't have to have scenes of her, like, searching the palace. Like, like, gotta go find Maddie. Now there's, like, the comms. Then they go back to the palace. He's not there. Then they go find the throne room. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I did think it was cute that Maddie said, Murphy, thank God, when he showed up in the tavern. And I was thinking in my head, like, has this sentiment ever been thought about for Murphy before? And I just thought that was funny. Um, My asthma is acting up now. So I'm like, sorry for the coughing, guys. Uh, But yeah, literally no one has ever said that about Murphy before and may not ever again. Nope. 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 (laughs) Uh, But they really are hammering in Murphy plus kids, you know. Um, And I still can't figure out if this is because Amori is about to be pregnant or is pregnant or if they're trying to turn Murphy into, like, a hero and kids are the easiest way to go about that, um, or both, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, they're really hammering Murphy kids in. <laughs> they really are. And I'm not – I don't – again, I don't hate No, it. I don't dislike it. Don't I'm just dis- making a note. No, no, I'm saying for me, like, I don't know if I buy this side of Murphy at this point. I feel like, again, there have been a couple leaps in character growth and I would have just liked – a little bit more of stronger writing here, I think. It feels a little out of character for him still. But, like, I, this is the direction we're going. And it's, like, get on board or get off the train. So, I I do buy Murphy's um, caring for Maddie, specifically. Uh, just because she's been around and has been kind of, like, absorbed into his group. Um, not that I don't buy him caring about other children. It just, it seems a little bit more um, cheap. 
like a cheap way to like make Murphy seem like a hero. Yeah, it's not the se- like I I like it's not his sensitivity to children that I'm questioning because I do feel like children could be like classified as like an underdog, and I think that's what Murphy really is. Um, it's more that the way that he's behaving seems a lot more emotionally available yeah um and supportive than I think maybe makes sense for who he is as a character and that's kind of what I question well I think that they're definitely um they've had to do a lot of work with Murphy this season because he ended up so low last season and I'm still 99.9 percent sure they're going to kill him off at the yeah. end of the season in some like heroic sacrificial way yeah. um so they have to get from that like super low point to that super high point uh and it it almost feels a little bit too fast just because of how far he fell last season so that when we see all of this like if it were spread out a little bit more i think it might be more palatable um but it just as it as it stands it it feels like they're like really trying to push him towards something yeah. versus letting him organically um come to this place because yeah. especially since they started out this season with him being just so broody and annoying you know yeah, exactly i just wanted more beat points yeah uh, switching scenes here. So Nyla says that Callie was also known as Calliope Prom Flame Keeper. Uh, prom Flame Keeper. Keeper. Excuse me. So does this preclude her from being a commander as well or or not? Do you still think that's a possibility? I never thought she was going to be a commander. That was all you. I still feel like she should be the commander. Um, and I think that... I, I don't like- know if this necessarily precludes her because... I think they call, you know, Becca, she's Becca Promheda. Um, so they would also, like, have, like, the prom flame keeper. I think she could have been the flame keeper and then, you know, essentially become commander later on. I still think it's possible. I hope it is because I don't know who else could take – I mean, I realize at this point that there's a lot of people we haven't met. haven't started this series yet. But I just feel like she makes sense out of everyone she's like super smart so she's able to interface with the ai she's really compassionate um she's a badass you know like i just i know you want this but like from the get-go i was like she's gonna be a flame keeper like i never saw her as a i see that she is the flame keeper right now i see that yes i don't i'm just i'm just saying i don't think that necessarily precludes her from being hedda at some point i hear you i don't agree okay Um, we can agree to disagree we often do Mm -hmm. uh I'm w- much more interested and curious about her why- being on the sidelines. What? Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? I-, I was like going to say like you're more interested in Cal- Calliope being kind of the-, the woman behind the curtain. I mean, like definitely. Yes. I think she has a lot of Clark in her that she can just like pull a lot of the strings, but like doesn't need to be the leader, quote unquote, in order to get a lot of shit done. In fact, like I feel like a lot of times you get a lot of, baggage when you're the one trying sure. to Sure. You're not wrong. I think her being the the man behind the curtain would be really interesting. I just think on a logical level, given her intelligence, given her similarities to Becca, I just think that would make the most sense for a person to take the flame. We'll like, see. Like it's like sure she can be smart and do stuff, but if she has a super smart AI in her head, she could do so much more than like any common person, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think what the difference is like you would want to take the flame. That's not necessarily true. Well, yes, it is. It's it might be true in the fact that like I would be really curious what the AI would be able to yes. teach me. Um, like if the, if there were no like no repercussions, just like blue pill, red pill, 
Oh yeah. If it, well, I don't necessarily think that I would need to be the leader is what I'm saying. But no, no, like, no. if this was just like, here, have an AI in your head to be like, chill. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I don't want any of that. That's fair. That's fair. Here. And th- there we go again. But I still feel like Callie's the kind of person who would, but <laughs> that's for another <laughs> I show. I think you're projecting a lot into <laughs> Callie. I don't know her that well. <laughs> I feel like I know her very well. Yeah, I know. You're very proprietary over her. That's okay. That's a good thing. Um, I did want to note, too, I'm really curious why they included this bit where Bill starts to ask them what prom flame, prom, bleh, prom flame keepa means, but he cuts himself off. And I'm just wondering, like, did he figure out that she wasn't the commander, but the flamekeeper instead? And that means that she's not in the AI and that Clark is lying. Is he trying to conceal that he knows this? I don't think he knows. Does he even know that it's called the flame? I don't know. I I don't think this was like a plot thing. I think just like why did he include? Why did they? Why did the writers choose to include this? Yeah, I I think it's because as he like goes on to explain a little bit later that he's really tried to cut himself off from love and like his interest in his daughter. I think brings back emotions, and so he has to like shut himself down. down. Like I don't need to learn more about Callie. She's dead. She's gone. I can't think about that right now. I've got to think about the future. Okay. Um, I think that's why they they showed that. I think that's a totally valid explanation, and I'm willing to go with that. But like just for the sake of argument, like let's just put a pin in this. Mm -hmm. See how this plays out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I still. I'm not sure they know that Becca called it the flame. They might have. I can't remember from the actual I don't show know. that we watched. Um, because otherwise, it seems pretty clear what it is. First flamekeeper. Right. <laughs> right. But again, he doesn't know what a flamekeeper is. That doesn't necessarily mean that she exactly. wasn't like, but I'm, like, the keeper if, like, in her head. He's, like, starting to piece this together and therefore, like, Clark and them lose their leverage. Maybe. I, I don't personally feel like this is a moment that he's going to be able to piece things together with. But we'll, we'll see how... I feel like... They've got to find out pretty soon that Clark doesn't have the flame. Yeah. Um, I do love that Gabriel is not at all impressed by Cadigan. Uh, honestly, like Gabriel in this episode is just my favorite. I'm obsessed with him. Um, and I also want to note here that Gabriel, <laughs> what? I just remembered I had a dream about Gabriel and it was really hot. <laughs> was I in it? No, I was What is wrong it. with you? I, Gabriel's mine. I know. I know we had like strict rules that I was with Bellamy and you were Gabriel. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did think last season, like out of the two of us, didn't you choose Gabriel and I chose writer and I chose very, very wrong. Poorly. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I want Gabriel all the way. Um, I was very, very upfront about that. Uh, or maybe it was the other way around. I don't actually remember what happened. No, I don't but, remember either. Yeah. <laughs> either way. I had a dream about him and it was great. Well, I think it's really rude that you left me out of that dream. So. I'm not going to have a hot dream with you in it. That's weird. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need it to be a hot dream. I, just, I did. I want to be in the dream with Gabriel. <laughs> That's too bad. Get your own dream. <laughs> um, I did want to note here that uh, Gabriel accuses Cadigan of believing that he's a god. And Cadigan's like, we're all on journeys to transcendence. We're all gods. Um and then later, of course, he goes on to say, like, I don't even believe in God. So, like, I do feel like Cadigan here is still kind of putting on um, this, like, cult leader persona. Yeah. Even though it's, it's, very, it's not a cult. It feels very um, Wizard of Oz to Yeah. Me. And Gabriel calls it. He's like, yep, that's that's the guy I knew. Yeah, yep, this, like, showman full of hot air. Um, and so I also wanted to call out Cadigan's A Man Learns a Lot as the Centuries Tick Past. Son, you have not been alive for centuries. Yeah. I just want to make this clear because they're making it seem like Cadigan is, is like Gabriel, who has literally been alive for centuries yeah. in different bodies. Cadigan has been in cryo for most of this time. He's, He's what, five? 
maybe 10 years older if I'm being generous uh, from yeah. when he first left Earth. I think 15 years is you like think the, that's most the most generous you could make. I'm also like, you're like sleeping beauty, sir. Yeah. He's, like, he's normal age. Yeah. You are not an old man. You are just sleeping throughout like, just the centuries. Just because like you wake up every two centuries or so and like technology in the world has like advanced far beyond your like wildest dreams does not suddenly make you wise. Wise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he does, you know, direct us toward the Bardoan logs, which I got really excited about. Yes. Um, and Jordan reads out this line, the orb becomes like a star challenging all that we have done and all that we are, which I'm assuming this is essentially talking about the final judgment, this challenging all that we have done and all that we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does it mean the orb becomes like a star? I don't know. I was thinking about that, and it's so interesting. Because oh, I-, I just figured it out. What? Okay, so Guys, obviously the orb in real time. Yeah, the orb is I'm assuming the anomaly stone. Um, okay, and becomes like a star is what happens when Becca did it. It like oh, transformed oh. into that like bright light, right, like, like a star. Supernova. Yeah. Oh, oh my god! I just figured. It, I just answered my own question, guys. <laughs> Look at that! You're so smart. Um. But this does really point toward... <laughs> I was, like, going to pull out some weird, like... I don't know. They yeah. both seem like symbols. It's <laughs> <laughs> some stupid thing. That's so funny. Um, I do love that, like, right after listening to Cadigan's explanation of this translation, Jordan is like, hmm, sounds fake, but okay. Like, no, it like, just... He's just like, sounds fake. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, okay. That's not... That, <laughs> literally makes no sense and it's like thank you jordan yeah thank you jordan's like all why would we transcend to a higher level through our lowest behavior and katigan's like well it's the last time we have to use that lowest behavior so it's fine it's cool jordan's like (laughs) no that seems not right it's like i'm like bill buddy do you not understand how absurd this all sounds like he's like so caught up in what he thinks is going to happen that he's like not seeing the truth that's right in front of him he, like he wants it to be a it's war like the most classic example of like buying your own bullshit like yeah. he's just drinking his own kool-aid mm-hmm. it's very it's very disturbing it is um but then nyla has a really great line every war feels like the last war until the next yep it's um, a great line. you know it reminds me of like how world war one was initially called the great war mm-hmm. um wasn't that the war to end all wars yeah uh, and obviously it didn't because what, 20 years later there was another. Yep. Um, and so I do like that kind of sentiment that like, you know, when you're in that moment, when you're in a conflict to that scale, uh, you can't imagine the world going beyond that or the world wanting to go back to that. Yeah. Um, and yet humanity and yet it does. <laughs> um, I do have like a, just like a logistical nit to pick, you know, Cadigan just like breezes out of there and is like I'm really hungry I'm gonna go get lunch and I'm just like why did they let him walk out they have a gun I know that is like they probably wouldn't use it well Gabriel said we can't shoot him we lose our leverage maybe that was Jordan one of them said that I'm just like there could have been a, they could have tried a little bit harder they were basically like oh yeah a buffet sounds nice Go ahead. Or they were like, uh, 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 okay like, <laughs> Clark very clearly told you to hold the room I mean, technically, they're still holding the room. They're just not holding Cadigan. (laughs) 
So Octavia and Dioza reunite with Clark's crew and then with Hope, who tells them about Echo's plan. The rest of the group isn't okay with killing all the Bardoans and go to find Levitt, who Echo apparently tortured information out of. On Sanctum, Murphy and Amori are attending to the Faithful wounded in the Reliquary, and Murphy tells Amori that Jadetta will come after the Faithful as soon as he's done dealing with Indra. Yeah, um, to start things off on Bardo, I love, first I love Dioza just being like, wow, she like ruined her, talking about Echo, she's like ruined her shot, gave you a free ticket back to the, like, our home, and she just blew it, and she's like pacing around the room, and Octavia's just like, can you stop pacing, and they're just like bickering like an old married couple, and it's really cute. Is this relationship my favorite thing to come out of the hundred? I very much think so. I honestly think, given that Bel Air probably won't happen, that at the end of this, for me, the most emotionally fulfilling relationship will have been Octavia and Diosa. I a hundred percent agree with that. And Which I don't is think we've been sad because we barely got to see it. You we know? barely knew the Yeah. I know. But I love them so so much. much. They light up a room. And you know what else was hugely important? Clark and Octavia's hug. We could have had it all. I want their friendship so badly. And, you know, they just, like, we never quite got there. They were always kind of clashing. And it just, it could have been so great. It could have. But I also feel like now we are finally at a point where we're, like, beyond friendship. Like, they're, like, family now. Oh, of course. I mean, you they're know? all family now, yeah. you know. But, like, especially Octavia and Clark, I think, because of their, re- their like, united feelings for Bellamy and how mm-hmm. much they both deeply love and appreciate him that like they have a special connection and understanding yeah. that surpasses the others and it's like sure family bickers and they they fight but like they are true family now yeah I think in a lot of ways and I'm not saying this to be um derogatory toward Echo but her grief right now is extremely selfish um and she's not you know, allowing any room for Octavia to grieve as well. Octavia, who's lost, you know, possibly more than Echo has, just in the sense that, like, Octavia's lost her brother. Echo's lost her boyfriend. Um, which I'm not trying to belittle, like, no, no, no. how much Echo I, loves I agree with you. him. Um, and I, I, I also do feel like Echo just isn't in a proper mind space to grieve this properly. Like, like it's not her fault that she's grieving selfishly. Yes. But Clark, who has lost so many people... Um, I think has really kind of learned how to include others in her grief as well. Um, and so her and Octavia are able to connect on this level that I don't think Octavia and Echo have been, even though they had that hug. Well, and especially because like Octavia is so much more emotionally um, healthy and competent at this point that like her grief doesn't look like Echo's grief. And so the only way Echo interprets it is as betrayal, which is not true. And everyone is entitled to grieve however they need to to get through it but you can't judge someone for how they're grieving somebody which is exactly what echo is doing sure i mean i personally judge the writing of octavia just a little bit i think that they could have layered in a little bit more grief there it does feel like she kind of brushed over it Mm -hmm. um but i do appreciate that in this scene clark like acknowledges octavia's pain and 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 back and vice versa yeah so very it was great and I also love that Octavia had total and complete faith that Clark Clark would show up to rescue them. Like, she knew. She yeah. just knew. She was like, I didn't tell them because I thought it would be a useful bargaining chip once when you, you show up. up. <laughs> Which you did. There was no room for doubt in Octavia's nope. mind. It was, and she's right. <laughs> it, and it was delightful. Yeah, it was. And, like, Clark was also delighted by it, you know? Like, the just joy of having another person believe in you that much, like... Again, 
I really appreciate it. I agree. It was great. This was a really great scene overall, yeah. um, especially because they added this Octavia Miller hug, which I was very surprised by, but I loved. I, I really feel like the two of them should have had much more time over the last two plus seasons to kind of address their relationship and the fallout of their relationship. Um, Miller, you know, has a lot of regrets for the things that he did under Octavia's rule and the way that she disappointed him as someone that he looked up to as a leader. Um, and I really just feel like that could have been a, a, a fascinating arc to dip into with the two of them. Like not like extremely deeply, but much just more like so a, than a now. Of nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. But I am at least glad that they did this, even if it's kind of like not enough, it's still better than nothing. And I really love Octavia's line because even though it's kind of a brush away line, a throwaway line where she's just like, hug me back Miller and it's played for like comedic effect. I think it's a really good example of like her being so in tune with her own emotions that she's like able to help other people navigate awkward moments that maybe they're not ready to to navigate themselves she's like actually aiding people and overcoming some of their emotional awkwardness and it's really nice well and I think it's a nice acknowledgement of the fact that they have been together in some way since the start of the show Um, they've been through a lot together and with others and she's you know in many ways being like just hug me now because we still care about each other even though we might have a lot to deal with on an emotional level this is not the time I'm still glad that you're alive and I know that you're glad that I'm alive too you know there was a lot packed into that little hug yeah Um, and then hope comes in yeah hope comes in (laughs) And they're all about to attack her. And, of course, they have to introduce her. And they're all like, what the fuck? Your daughter has grown. And Dioza comes in with a classic Dioza singer. Time dilation is a bitch. And it's like, ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? truth. (laughs) Um, I do also love that Hope immediately recognizes all of them correctly from Dioza and Antio's stories. And it just reminded me so much of, like, the fact that to her, these people are more legend than actual people. And it very much reminded me of like the way that Maddie or Jordan sort of looks looked up to them at the very beginning before they got to know them more. And Or at like Maddie recognized Bellamy just by yeah. seeing him, you yeah. know? Um, and it's, it's just a nice little tradition, you yeah. know? I really like it. Yeah, agreed. Um, and then Hope tells them that Echo wants to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, and she's like trying really, really hard to get them on board with this plan. But of course, like Dioza is very suspicious. <laughs> and it's like, no, wait a minute. Something sounds not right. Um, and then is obviously like incredibly disappointed that Hope got on board with this as she did and didn't try to stop Echo. Yeah, you know, I will say one thing that I do find interesting about the way that they've kind of crafted Hope's character arc is that she has completed her goal. Her goal was to save um, Dioza and Octavia. And she did. And they can leave now, you know, with with no repercussions. They can just walk out. Um, But it's not enough for her. Like, she has gotten what she wanted and realized that, like, that that hole inside of her is still so... um, painful and so angry and 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 she doesn't know how to make it better and so she thinks that vengeance is going to do that but it's I mean it's obviously not we we all know this at this point um but I do like that idea that like she's gotten what she wants but she still can't let it go it's not enough yeah and I love that Dioza tells her this um she says like vengeance will not fill that hole inside you only we can do that meaning her family and that's it's so true and beautiful and it's just it's so tragic that hope 
she can't see it. Well, and it's also like vengeance is not going to give you back the time that you lost. Right. It's gone and you have to come to terms with right. that. You have to grieve that yeah. time and then move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just, she can't. And as she walks away from her, like I, you can see on Dio's face, she's just struck with horror at like the fact that hope has turned out exactly like her. I mean, like, young she, yeah, she recognizes herself and that was her deepest fear. The reason that she didn't teach hope to fight is she didn't want hope to be her. And now hope has become her. Right. Exactly. It's her greatest fear has been realized. Um, and then we move on to Sanctum and all the faithful are in the reliquary. Um, have they ever been allowed in there before? I don't, I I wasn't sure if it was ever clear if that was like a museum that they would visit or if it was like a secret space for the primes. I have no idea. Um, if it is their first time, it is a little ironic that it's coming right after the destruction of their own beliefs in the primes. It's true. Uh, but you know, there we are. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. That's a little, that's a little odd. Um, we see here Maddie is comforting Rex um, as he weeps over his family and loved ones. And I just think it's really beautiful because we know Maddie has the capacity to be truly empathetic with people because she too has lost her family to war. And it's like, you know, she's making friends, but is also able to comfort them in a way that like other people wouldn't. I uh, mean, technically she lost her family to Prime Fire or yeah, it was like the radiation yeah. and stuff, but like still Still. she's she's like her mother's died in her arms Mm -hmm. so so I just I thought that was really beautiful yeah I agree um and I do like that little side relationship even though it it, does it take away time from us I don't know (laughs) I I haven't seen enough of Rex yet to really like care much about him um and I am curious what happened to her other friend who I thought would have been in the room when they were doing the reunification ceremony. So where is he? You know, know. that's a good question. I'm I'm assuming he's alive. They're not killing another kid. Um, But yeah, it was, it was a nice little nugget there. Um, It's also interesting that Murphy feels or does have an understanding of the way that Shade had a strategizes because he's played chess with him Mm -hmm. and he's able to like synthesize the, the moves that Russell made playing chess and how they would like, or not Russell, sorry, she'd had a move to playing chess um, and how they would correspond to the moves that he makes in real life. Yeah. There was a lot of extrapolation here that I thought was really interesting and very cool and a very clear connection with the chess game. Um, I do like that idea that like how you play chess is very, um, yeah, yeah, mirrors the kind of person that you are. And the the choices that you make like on a political Mm -hmm. and, and like not like human scale. Um, and I do think that the show goes on to indeed prove that Murphy is right. You know, he, he's right on the money here because Shadehada basically says verbatim later when he tells Knight, you know, like, I can't allow these kids to grow up and harbor vengeance for me, um, which is exactly what Murphy is saying here, that he will sacrifice a pawn now so that it doesn't become po- more powerful later. Mm-hmm. Um, which I like. I like the fact that not only they included this line for Murphy, but then proved that he was right. Yeah. in the same episode I thought yeah. that was a very strong choice so what I see I have a positive thing to say <laughs> I have a negative thing okay. now <laughs> what I didn't love is I feel like in this scene and specifically they are backtracking a little with the Maury's character in order to serve Murphy's growth because the Maury goes if we help them John will be in danger too yeah um, I, I thought that was bizarre it's 
bullshit. Honestly, like maybe the Amori who was, you know, back in season four, um, who was lying to Clark to kill Bayless, you know, and, you know, get them to torture Bayless instead of her. Uh, yeah, maybe that Amori would have said that, but not this Amori, not, not only this Amori that we've seen this season who very much like cares about these people and wants to help them, but also the Amori we've seen in the last three seasons, ever since she spent all of that time on the arc, finding a family and people who care about her. I think it's exactly what you're saying. Like they have spent so much time showing how much she cares about these people this season for her to just turn around and be like i don't know if we help you think them, we want to throw our lot in with yeah. them like that it was a very odd and choice it, just, it reminds me again of like the way that the show uses amori constantly like last season they had that episode where she was gonna like fuck over the rest of her family and like let clark be killed inside josephine's mind in order mm-hmm. for her and murphy to become you know gods it's just not consistent it's not consistent and it's not who amori is and it's not how they've been writing her elsewise so it was just like bad decisions bad lines and <laughs> and in service of murphy's character which makes it yeah makes more... him being like i know but we gotta do it right. anyway it's like <laughs> it, it, it's even more frustrating yeah so kat and gabriel have a little millennial lunch together and talk about their lives on earth Cadigan invites Gabriel to join him in the last war, but Gabriel doesn't believe in giving up everything that makes him human in order to transcend. Octavia's group finds Levitt and learns that Echo's plan is to release Chekhov's bioweapon into the humidification system. And Jordan discovers that the disciples may have translated the Barden text a little incorrectly. <laughs> just a wee just, bit. Just a wee bit. <laughs> the last war may instead be a last test that will decide the fate of humanity. Yeah, there is a lot to unpack here. <laughs> Strap in, guys. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> um, this scene between Gabriel and Cadigan having lunch is fantastic. I will say it was wonderful, and I enjoyed most, if not all of it. I don't know how I feel about them, like, including, quote-unquote, like, millennial food here. It felt, like, a little on the nose. Like, yeah. a little too, what was the word you used the other day? Trendy. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm also, like, separately very disturbed and uncomfortable with the idea that bill is a millennial because i'm a millennial i'm just like ew i uh, hate this yeah the the script said that they were eating avocado toast chia pudding and uh sushi burritos and i was like okay avocado toast i get it it's like the, the millennial stereotype but chia pudding and sushi burritos what yeah i i like i've literally never eaten also, either of those things like a terrible meal it does sound like None a terrible meal. None of those meal. things go with each other. Also, where the hell did they get any of this stuff? I don't know. Where did they get avocados? Where I don't did they know. get chia? Where did they get freaking sushi? I yeah. mean, I guess they could have had their own fish. Like, I, I am now. This scene has made me question. Like, what do? What did they eat on Bardo? Where are they getting their food? Like, yeah. Where did all of this come from? Do they have like a replicator, like on Star Trek, where you could just make anything? That's what I was thinking. Okay, if they do, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I will. that would be really cool. <laughs> um, but the script also says the paintings in this room are remnants of Earth, which is making me wonder if Cadigan and his group actually go back to Earth at some point and, like, get some stuff. Maybe they get some avocado seeds and, and all <laughs> yeah. the other stuff. Well, on their recon mission, <laughs> yeah. they food, gather food stuffs. They were like, you know, I really like this Picasso. Can we just take that yeah I'm gonna take well that. like in the same way that Mount Weather had had like all of those old paintings stored yeah. like maybe they also had paintings stored in the bunker and like got a few and that could kind of lead into why our group never found the anomaly stone and why the anomaly stone is now off you yeah. know um I'm still unsure about that but 
I am curious where else they would have gotten these earth paintings. So yeah, it's a good question. Um, we do actually get a lot of a little bit more information about Gabriel's upbringing. Upbringing. Uh, we learn that his grandmother was from Colombia, and we also learn that he did not grow up rich because they say that um, his water's grandmother was turned off to water the riches' lawns. Mm-hmm. And this leads me to my next. So I again, I just also side note really like getting backstory for Gabriel. Um, I think it just like fleshes out his character a lot more, and I think it's really interesting. But that, I, but then Cadigan comes back and uh, tells him that he, it, they're they're very similar in that um, Cadigan is a self-made man too, which just like rubbed me such the wrong way, and I feel like is a really good example of white male privilege at work. It's like equating like a white guy starting out flipping burgers to um, Gabriel's experience as a person of color who was living in poverty to the point where their water was turned off, like they are not equivalent. No. Um, and you need to recognize your privilege bill and stop trying to pretend like you are, you didn't come from a place of deep privilege and like a head start. It's like, Oh, you suffered. I suffered too. I had to work at Burger King. I had to <laughs> flip burgers, man. He's like, our water was turned off. <laughs> oh my God. He's so fucking frustrating. I hate him. <laughs> I love to hate him as I knew that I would. Um, Cadigan and Gabriel both think earth was pretty terrible. And like, you know what? Can't argue there guys, especially in 2020. Not wrong. Um, and then Cadigan lists memes as one of the worst things. And you know what? As a millennial, which Cadigan is, that really rubbed me the wrong way because you and I talk about all the time how like memes are a really transcendent form of humor um, that have built upon generations and generations of humor and now are like, it's like they've evolved beyond what humans are capable of or thought we would be capable of. Well, it's it's like a they're new, so self-referential. They are, and it's like a new. I mean, like we see like new forms of language spring up every couple generations. Mm-hmm. Whether it's text messaging, like we have, I mean, technology has enabled us to like create and evolve new language systems within English that are like really fascinating. And meme culture is the best and brightest example of that. And it's like. You are such an asshole, Cadigan. Like, you would be the one pretentious mm-hmm. millennial who's like, memes, so lame. I don't appreciate memes being maligned, and I'm just putting it out there right now. <laughs> you would, Cadigan. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, Cadigan doesn't believe in God, as I mentioned, but he still believes that he was chosen by some higher power. And I'm like, isn't that what God is? Like, I, I'm, I'm very confused. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he means he doesn't believe in like a Christian Judeo version that's of God. That's fair, but that's, I mean, it's not, that's not right. No, <laughs> like, I, I If mean, you say you don't believe in God, you're really saying like you don't believe in a higher power. Or a fate, yeah. Well, not necessarily fate, but like at least in a higher power mm-hmm. um, of some sort. And I agree. And I, I mean, I, I really, like he does believe in God. He believes that he's a God, like. I mean, like, he says he doesn't, and I believe him, but at the same time, I do think that he's drank his own Kool-Aid so deeply that he thinks that he deserves to transcend to be a god. That's fair. (laughs) I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, Gabriel has an amazing line that, you know, both of us really loved, and I'm just going to read it out. Yeah, do it. So Gabriel says, joining your war to save the human race by renouncing everything that makes me human, love, family, those are the things that connect us. We're not just DNA, we're emotion. Without that, what are you fighting for? And I was like, 
Gabriel, I want to have your children. Yep. <laughs> that is correct. I would like to have babies with you. Um, it's so good because it's it's exactly what we've been saying all season long. And it was just synthesized in this like perfect little nugget of a line by somebody who, who unlike Bill, actually has lived and has seen what the human race is capable of and why human connection is so essential to staying grounded and staying a, a human. Because without that, you turn into Josephine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's talking. And I, I especially love that he, this is coming off of the heels of Cadigan essentially recruiting him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just like, that's cute. But no, thank you. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not interested in this at all. And, you know, I think Bill was not expecting this. And he plays it off a little cool. But then, you know, his retort is a little illogical to me. Like, I'm having a hard time parsing out his response because he starts talking about like um have you ever loved somebody if you could take away like that pain blah 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 and that seems to be speaking to this like idea of like transcendence and like like removing that emotion and then he moves into this section about um how betrayal is the worst pain you can experience and it's like what are you talking about bill who what well, I mean, I think we're meant to assume he's either talking about Callie or her mother. I'm not I'm not sure it's quite clear, but I feel like it's probably Callie given him um, having that line earlier this episode, like cutting him off thinking about her. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. It just, it was almost like a non sequitur. I just, I get what he's saying here in the sense he's connecting love to him. Like, let's say that he's talking about Callie to him loving Callie. And so the fact that he loves Callie means that when she betrayed him, that it actually like hurt him. Whereas like, if just some random person, you know, screwed you over, you're not going to feel like, like physical pain, like, you know, emotional pain about that. But exactly. But that doesn't work as a response because that's literally exactly what Gabriel is saying. Like, that's what makes you human. Well, I think Bill is being like, I don't, I think we'd be better without these things, which I'm saying, I I think that what Gabriel or what Bill's response to Gabriel's um, statement is, is true. Like he is right. You do, you can do bad things in the name of love, but at the same time, like love can also inspire you to do great things and you, you can't have bad without good. Like you have to have both because without the bad, then there will be no good. There will just be nothing. It's yeah. just emptiness. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's and, what Gabriel's talking about. And that's not that's not worth waiting. That's it's, worth, it's not worth it. <laughs> and it's not dying over or yeah. fighting for. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, Cadigan goes on to say that, like, isn't finding the answers, like, that they've been looking for worth a little sacrifice? And I'm left wondering, what sacrifice have you made, Bill? And, you know, who is the one doing the actual sacrificing? Because I think you can interpret this as him being, like, he's sacrificing Callie, he's sacrificing his family, his, like, connection to humanity. But that doesn't feel like a true sacrifice because what he's gaining or what he thinks that he's gaining is so much more valuable and important to him that it almost doesn't compare. And it's like he didn't value those things enough in the first place to make them worth a sacrifice to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a, it, it, it like feels like a false statement to me for him to say like, isn't it worth a little sacrifice? And it's like so tongue in cheek. And it's like, no, it's not worth a little sacrifice and you're not sacrificing anything. Well, it, I think the thing is, is like, he doesn't understand what sacrifice right. really is. Sacrifice involves love. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. You can't sacrifice if you've shut up your emotions or at least pretended to. Um, 
Yeah, agreed completely. Anders um, comes in and interrupts again, and Cadigan is, like, more than annoyed. He's, like, notably angry Mm -hmm. at the interruption. And I do think it's worth pointing out, again, he has zero interest in Anders as a person. Like, you know, despite or maybe because of his devotion to Bill, it just, like, it really emphasizes to me that, like, at this point, Bill is a sociopath. He carries no value for individuals. Like, it's his only – his only – interest in people is how to use them to get to his goal yeah i mean like the disciples are essentially um fodder that he's like raised Raised. for the slaughter for this war so that they can die and he can transcend it's disgusting it is it makes it makes me sick (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) um so then we switch over to this Levitt scene. They find him all tied up and tortured. And um, I think it's really interesting that when Octavia goes to untie him, she rushes to him and then Clark tells her, wait. Um, and she instantly obeys without any hesitation or question. And, you know, she trusts Clark's instincts and orders completely. Um, and she doesn't make him. I mean, this is a person who she's grown very close to. Who she's had an intimate relationship with. And Clark says, stop. And she stops like. I mean, I think at the same time as Octavia has a fondness for Levitt, um, she also realizes that Levitt, as Echo mentioned earlier in the season, Levitt is their friend. He's not their people. Right. Um, and so maybe we should keep him tied up for a minute yeah. just to figure out what's going on. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. <laughs> it does seem like Levitt broke not because Echo was hurting him, but because she was killing people in front of him, which I think is... An interesting distinction to make. Even though she clearly tortured him, it seems like what really affected him was, like, her killing others uh, that he knew. Yeah, and Um, I am, can I just say, deeply disturbed by the fact that Echo was slaughtering people as a torture tactic. Yeah, in front of Levitt. Yeah, that's that's pretty disturbing. Um, But it's also, like, by breaking, everyone's going to die. You, these guys that she just killed everyone else that you know it's true they all gonna die but i also am like if i were in that situation i don't know if i could i don't know if i wouldn't break and especially like hope you know being like it's fine levitt's alive to to octavia but like he wouldn't be if echo goes through with her i know it's nonsensical yeah i mean it's it's a it's this i mean there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot of thoughts here i was trying to read octavia's face in this scene when levitt's talking about him breaking um because there is obviously some some pity there and some sympathy but at the same time like there's a little part of me that thinks that maybe she was a bit disappointed in levitt Mm. um just like that he's so soft and i like kept thinking like did there like for a split second flash like lincoln wouldn't have broke in her head probably and I do think pity is a really good word because in some ways he's he's lived a very privileged soft life Mm -hmm. um but that hasn't prepared him at all for the kind of violence that they've brought to him Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit of guilt it's a little bit of pity it's a little bit of like sadness Mm -hmm. that you know this poor boy um he's just like he's not made of this the same stuff um, I mean, I guess I will say Lincoln did break. <laughs> they did torture him in season one. Yeah. But he broke for Octavia because he was obsessed with her. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> so I think she's chill with that. <laughs> um, but in any case, I'm, I'm not really sure, like, what this is going to mean for them going forward, you know? Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll see. But Raven does say that this isn't necessarily a suicide mission, that Echo, you know, will try to make a run for the stone room. And, like... I'm not sure if that's true. I'm not sure if that's not true, but 
I could kind of see it going either way. What do you think? I think it's a suicide mission. You think, I think so? I think Echo meant to, it to be a suicide mission. Um, I think Echo would be okay dying. I feel like she's going to try to get out. But if she does it, like, I feel like she's already accepted the fact that, like, I may not be able to get out. And I'm okay with that, yeah. you know? Yeah, because I think that's the way that Echo lives her life. It's, like, yeah. fully committed and, like, every day could be her last day. And that's just, like, a, a mindset that she's been in since she was a little child. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, like, where she's comfortable, ironically. <laughs> um, so then they all go out to help Echo, and Octavia ultimately chooses to leave Levitt tied up so that he can't go and get help, which would, you know, doom Echo. And I'm just curious, like, what kind of impact this will have on their relationship moving forward, and, like, what do we want for them after this? Like, do I want them to be together? Do I think that this... I ship, I shipped them very, very hard, and I... <laughs> I still do. <laughs> I'm a, it's pretty, I'm pretty lenient shipper. Um, but I do think that like, if they do go forward, I want there to be some sort of resolution on this. Like I need there to be some sort of conversation that acknowledges this. Um, and I want Levitt to choose them over his own people, I think, or some sort of sacrifice in that, in that capacity to show us that like, or vice versa. I, I'm just like... I mean, I don't necessarily want Levitt to choose them over his own people, but I, I would like Levitt to maybe want to find a way to help his people escape under the thumb of this, like, cult leader yeah. who's essentially traumatized centuries of children and forced them to pretend that they don't have any emotions and can't love anyone and has taken away all family and all sense of, of like, self for this greater purpose, which is a lie. Yeah, it is, I mean, exactly. And I just... I'm... I'm... What I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I still have hope for these two crazy kids. Yeah. I just want there to be a little bit more to it. Let's put a pin in this because um, Catherine had a good point from one of the emails she sent us. And okay. we have that little little later down in the cool. uh, in the podcast. Yeah, we, will so re- we, will we can re-talk about this later. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to note that I do love when the show underlines the connection between Jordan and Monty. I, I always love... I love a good father-son nugget, um, and I I just really appreciate that they're like they're both so intelligent and they are so creative, um, and I just you know it's very sweet. Yeah, I mean this whole thing here where Jordan's trying to figure out if there's a possible different way to read um, the, the the notes left behind by the Bardoans. Um, and he realizes that if this was, you know, read like Korean, it would change kind of all of the translations um, or at least large chunks of them. And personally, I'm still not sure how I feel about the introduction of Monty and now Jordan knowing Korean. Um, I'm trying to like parse through my own feelings on this. So like in some ways, does it feel a little bit too much like appropriative retconning? Um, Christopher Larkin is Korean American. But Shannon Cook is South African and Chinese, so he's not Korean himself. Um, and so I'm just, I'm like, I'm not entirely sure it's okay. I haven't really kind of like come to terms with how I feel about this yet. I, I do like that how Korean is used here. I think it's really interesting to see that. But I just don't know if it should have been used like this, you know? Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I, I always think it's important to like whenever a new element like this is introduced to take, take a pause and just examine it um, on its merit and see like, is there anything shady happening or problematic happening here? And I think that's a really good instinct for me. I don't feel like this is. And also, like, guys, again, if you feel differently, email us. Let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for me, my interpretation, I don't feel like there is something nefarious happening at play. I mean, nefarious seems like very dramatic, but like, um, it doesn't feel appropriative to me because Monty, the, the Christopher Larkin who played Monty was Korean. And I, I know that they never, I'm not sure that they never mentioned that he didn't, that he spoke Korean. He, they did not. I, they absolutely yeah. did not. Um, but even if they didn't, and you're saying that they didn't, I don't, in the same way that like they brought in a new element to Jackson, mm-hmm. like is, is queer, um, that we didn't know before. Like that's also retconning. Um, if we're going to be okay with something like that, then I feel like we can be okay with something like this. I think context is important. Well, I think for me here, the difference is, is what they did to Jackson was to serve his character. Whereas this, they were like, it almost feels like they're saying like, let's add this like fun cultural element to serve the plot. Mm, um, and I that see. to me feels a little bit like more sticky. I'm still, I'm like, not sure. I could be like, well, really okay. just pulling too much let, out of it. Let me, let me bring up my next point because that might help interrogate this little mm-hmm. bit more for me I really love the idea that the reason why well let me just say this I <laughs> I really love that they introduced this Korean piece here because I think that one of the reasons that Bill isn't worthy of transcendence is is because he's so biased and so consumed and obsessed with himself and his own culture and like would just automatically assume that this random alien language would of course be based on like a Western language scheme and didn't even stop to consider the possibility that it could be more closely related to, to an Eastern culture or language. Um, and I think that speaks to, again, his biases, his white privilege and just his overall ickiness as a character. And I like the idea that the, the, the like the cultural and traditions of, of a, of a family from Earth, being able to come to this language and dismantle everything that he believes is true based on their experiences, um, I really like that. I do like that interpretation. I think the one point that I'm unsure of there is I still, and this this is a writer's thing, I don't feel like, I feel like Cadigan would have known several languages um maybe chinese maybe korean maybe mm-hmm. japanese like i think he would have known at least one of those yeah um one of the the languages that uses um characters in this sense yeah. instead of like letters and so coming into this this language with the bardoans where it does feel like they're using more characters versus um letters i'm just surprised that he chose to go with the Western reading of it. But that's what I'm saying is like, I think that speaks to his implicit bias. Well, I, I the same, but I just can't think like, like he is, I mean, he's a lot of things, but he's also a genius. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. I just feel like as a genius, he would be looking, sorry, my asthma is acting up again. <coughs> he would be looking for ways to get it right. I mean, I, I guess, I guess what we're saying essentially, I feel like the writer's, maybe did a misstep here but what you're reading from what they've written I I like that interpretation yeah and I also feel like if we're talking about geniuses like there there are different flavors of genius right because Becca was a genius I think Becca would have figured this out correctly because I think she has like a much more tolerant and open mind um and I I just think that Bill in all of his glory is like everything about me is true and correct and right and I'm the chosen one Mm -hmm. so he would go with what is most 
native to him um which is which is wrong you're just flat out wrong bill yeah i would love for you guys to email us about your thoughts um on this because again we're like two white girls talking about this it's very hard to purse this out for us but if you have any thoughts let us know um but jordan makes a huge realization here and it's that the last war may actually be a last test instead which i think you and i had kind of gathered before this definitely um but I personally had kind of a moment of clarity with what I want um, as the season progresses. And I kind of wanted to talk about it with you because it kind of sparks off of something you said to me earlier this week, mm-hmm. um, which was that... Well, I think we need context, which is like, after the first viewing of this, I was very upset. <laughs> and we were ta- I was talking about the things that I really liked about the episode and the things that I was excited to see, and that included the idea of this last test and your thoughts were my thought was like I have like I think on a um in a theoretical sense like this test is interesting to me but personally like that's not what is attractive to me about this show when I started watching this show in season one what is most attractive to me and what I thought was most interesting was the interrogation between good and bad wrong right and wrong um and the gray area in between and perspective and sacrifice and priorities and the choice in between those gaps um and I think that's where the show is strongest and that is the the principal tenet of this show is the interrogation of that gray space um and like what I was saying to Sarah is the idea of a representative a representative of the human race going before some sort of celestial higher power universal power cosmic influence to be ascribed a moral value for everything that they have done is much less interesting to me because I don't think I think it's all subjective Mm -hmm. um and that's what the point of this show is it is always about perspective and there are no good guys there are no good bad guys it's just whatever side you're on and so the idea that all of this has been leading up to a test of good or bad where you get slapped in with an a pass or a fail is really disappointing mm-hmm. to me. Um, and so then I think Sarah took that. And yeah. So, so here, so you saying that I was like, I absolutely agree with you in a lot of ways. Like for me, the best part of the show has always been that moral gray that it's been the fact that like me as a person, I've been forced to really reconcile with, thinking about what choices I would make in their, Even in this episode, in their situation. We're doing that. Of course. Yeah. Um, and that has always been really fascinating to me just to see what that says about me as a person, what it says about my beliefs, about morality, about um, kindness and goodness um, and rightness. And I, for me, like I, I do think that that is what the show does best. Um, but I still was excited about the test and I couldn't really put my 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 thoughts into words until uh, when we were writing this the show notes actually and I started thinking about what I really wanted as an outcome for the test um, and and whether there might be another reason some some higher philosophical reason why I liked the show and why I liked um, the the overall idea of having to constantly uh, fight against or confront your own morality mm-hmm. and um, you know really you know finding out who you are as a person over and over and over again. Um, and so I was like, okay, I, I, we, I had been operating under the idea that like when we go into this test into the final judgment day, like we're obviously going to be judged 
uh, kindly because they're not going to just kill all the humans. Like we're <laughs> yeah. going to end up on some sort of happy note right. for the hunter. And, and, and in that assumption, you are multi- like simultaneously disappointed because you know deep down like, I don't know if we really deserve exactly. it. Exactly. That's what I kept having <laughs> such a hard time with as I was like, you know, as much as I think our group is, they are trying to do better, at least some of them are, um, it, it still isn't quite enough. It's We're not que- there. It's questionable. Humanity is not there. But then I realized, like, what if we've been thinking about this in too binary a level? I actually would really love if the season is Clark or maybe Clark and Bellamy go in and they're forced to take this test and they have to confront all of the horrible things that they and their people have done, um, maybe all of the good things as well, and the whatever celestial powers are like, "Mm, you guys kind of suck, like this this is not good. And Clark argues that like, you're right, we're not good people yet but we can be better like we can change I think we've proved that we can try and try and do better and that's like the best part about humanity is we have the potential to do better and we have the capacity for we have the capacity for like compassion I mean like humanity we've named after ourselves is this idea that like of compassion and and of love um that's what makes humans humans you know I Um, really oh sorry uh, just like so so like I I love this idea that like perhaps Clark argues that like you're right we are not ready yet to transcend but someday we might and we deserve that chance to find out you know like we deserve to be able to become better people and you need to give us that that fighting chance I would love that I think that's a really awesome theory and a I think the most hopeful outcome that I would, or I would say the most positive and like well-earned outcome that I would hope for. Do I trust this show to do that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, truly I'm saying like, I don't know. And well, I will be really curious to see how this goes. This um, coming to light for me, I don't feel like there's any other option because they obviously can't destroy all humanity. They can't say, yeah, you guys are ready to transcend. Because number one, like, I don't believe that our, our humans are going to just transcend but to also, whatever level. And I also just don't think that's a very satisfying I agree conclusion with that. Agreed. for our characters. But there has to be, like, some level of, like, there's still more work to be done. Yes. And but I, we and, can do it if we try, And you know? I really like that as far as, like, the theme of what we were just talking about. is like, we are always evaluating. We are always interrogating. And it's just, like, you slowly, slowly through evolution – become better versions of what we are Mm -hmm. um and to the idea that like we will deserve transcendence or or at least could that we have the potential the potential is there and whether we reach it or not is up to us but like we still i really to try love this idea again i don't know if i have faith that she will do this (laughs) um but i really i mean like Clark's going to take the test. She's going to sure. be the one. But I really do want her and Bellamy to be able to take it together. Just and I because want there to be a lever. There's going to be a lever. Of course there will be. Um, but because Bellamy and Clark is, they canonically balance each other out yeah. and they make each other better people and better leaders. Yeah. And I just think like that would be the right ending for them as a, a co-leadership pair. Yeah. I think thematically it's very yin and yang. Um, you need to do it that way. Again, I don't. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, like, I th- at least I think I, I have a lot more faith in what this show could still reach, even though I am a little disappointed 
at what has been done in the last 10 episodes. Yeah. Um, I have more faith than you, but that's why we co-podcast. That's true. Yeah. It's very Jewish of me. Um, <laughs> uh, what else was I going to say about this? Oh, um, I really love this line that Jordan tells Nyla. Um, if you're looking for the wrong answer, it's easy to miss the right one. And I just, I really appreciate that they included this because it's pretty much applicable to virtually everything that's happening right now I feel like implicit bias is something that comes up in conversation all the time and if you are looking for something to justify what you want to believe you will find it but that's not the point the point is to be open-minded and to look for an in in this case an interpretation that makes the most sense and is um you know holistically correct and I just I really appreciated this line I thought it was wonderful yeah Agreed. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then my last note that I, I wanted to say is I I love that when Jordan is like, should we tell them about this revelation I've just had? That Gabriel immediately is like, no, we cannot tell Gabriel about the test. He is the last person who should be representing <laughs> the human race. He's a narcissistic sociopath. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, if anyone should be taking this test, it should not, not be, be Cadigan. <laughs> and it's like, dude, I could not agree more. Yeah. <laughs> So, Indra challenges Shadehada to a single combat for the right to command one crew. The two fight, and Shadehada gets the better of Indra, but before he can kill her, Maddie blinds him in one eye. Indra then promises to kneel if Shadehada would spare Maddie. Shadehada tells his men to kill the faithful and Maddie, a way where Indra can't hear him, uh, but they can't find any of them because they've all locked themselves in the reactor room with Murphy and Amori. Yeah, I think the first thing that needs to be said about this section is that Shadehada looks ridiculous. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. J.R. Bourne's beard. We will all miss you. <laughs> um, and also that, like, his, like, studded leather jacket and his, like, earrings and his, like, little hair ties. He just looks like he's a band member of Aerosmith. I hate it so much. I, he looked so good as, like, Russell. He was so hot. Yeah. And now he's not. I mean, like, he's still I mean, like, attractive. I mean, he's a very attractive man. But he looks ridiculous <laughs> uh so yes i am mourning that so now that the beard is gone chaydetta can die <laughs> yeah if the beard isn't there what's the point i will ask why did indra cut her hair for this fight i couldn't tell if that's what she did, did she, she did because like she had um like higher like oh, higher yeah, hair like in the middle little, like a little i don't um, know hair terms yes yeah. Like but it was, like, bump, higher on top. A little bump in the front. And shaved on the sides. Yeah. Um, and for like this, fade. she, like, completely shaved her whole head. That's true. Or didn't completely. I she, thought he was just talking about her epic eyeliner game. I mean, she did have great eyeliner game. But, no, she definitely, yeah. like, cut okay. her hair. Okay, that makes sense. And I would, No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, I mean what he it was talking about. It doesn't make sense. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe that that could be, like, a grounder ritual, a ritual or something. Yeah, because he also, like cut his beard shaved his well didn't his he head. do that before um she challenged oh him, yeah though? yeah yeah he was in the throne room yeah right. he was like i want to feel like my old self again yeah. bring the eyeliner <laughs> <laughs> bring me my razor <laughs> um we also learn here that shadehead's given name is malachi um and i'm like who names a kid malachi like did they expect him to be evil it does sound very malicious <laughs> it seems like a very very um imposing name uh-huh i did look it up because i was curious about it and so malachi is also a, a name from the bible it is from the book of malachi which is also called the prophecy of malachias um and it is the last 12 old testament books um that bear the names of the minor prophets and they're grouped together 
as the 12 in the Jewish canon. Um, the author is unknown, but Malachi is, a mere, is merely a transliteration of a Hebrew, Hebrew word meaning my messenger. So cool. I don't know. I, honestly, guys, like I have, I have no connection to draw here. Look, my connection to Malachi is that I wrote a story when I was a kid, um, and Malachi was named my villain because it sounds like an evil fucking name. So you did I mean I didn't like finish it. I I plotted a story where Malachi was the the villain. Wow, um, that's the only thing I remember about that particular story. I love that. I I wrote a story once about Anastasia. Who, her name wasn't Anastasia, but it was about an eight-year-old Romanov princess. Who was on like the fan run. fiction. <laughs> yes, it was very much fan fiction of Anastasia. Um, okay, moving uh, on. Yeah, I I was really excited to see Indra and Shaitana face off. Like I've been looking forward to this, but I've got to say, like this whole scene fell extremely flat for me. Yeah, and the the shooting style of like the shaky cam really up close. They did some like weird intercut editing it felt like really really uh um like f- uh, what's the word I'm looking for like fancy camera style mm-hmm. um to like f- make like heighten the fight because the fight was kind of boring yeah it was boring and really quick yeah yeah it was it was just very anticlimactic in general um I do love that Maddie straight up just like Arya Starks that bitch you oh know? my god yeah that was awesome and it also I feel like it's, it's really important to note like it shows how much she has come to care for Indra that she like has been able to like overcome her fear of Shadehead I mean like she was having a full-blown panic attack earlier yeah um and she just goes Arya Stark on this bitch yeah yeah I agree um I do wonder like is there going to be any purpose behind him losing his eye other than the fact that like it was a sweet move by Maddie, you know? I don't know. I mean, I think it just, like, makes him look more like a pirate, more malicious. Did he have an eye patch before? No. Weren't his eyes, like, scratched out or something? Am I just, like, making this he up? Had, he had um, he had uh, stitches over his eyelids okay. and his mouth. Okay. It was like he had been cursed. Ah, I see. I he, like, see. He couldn't see. He well, couldn't this is speak. this might be like the beginning maybe. of his return to Shadehead-ness. Oh, maybe, maybe that's a good point. Maybe his old self had a uh, one eye, or no, no, he definitely had at least one eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious to see how that plays out. The one thing that I like genuinely like about this scene is that I think this shows really um, strong development for Indra in that. She already told us that when she was a child, she felt like her mother was weak for bowing or for kneeling before Shaitetta. Mm-hmm. But here, she uh, does that to, to protect Maddie. And I think that this is kind of her realizing that, like, kneeling here is not about weakness. It's not about you at all. It's about what you are trying to do to protect the people that you love. Like, Absolutely. her mother was trying to protect her. And she is trying to protect Maddie and the rest of their people. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, kneeling is like a little sacrifice for Indra now in order for you to, like, survive and to fight another day. Yeah, I actually had that... Um, noted down below but oh I'm did really, you yeah I'm so <laughs> glad you brought it up here it's really awesome and I completely agree with you and I think is again a good example of like how the show does character growth correctly mm-hmm. um like these are the kinds of small beat small moments where they like bridge these bigger character revelations yeah. later on um and I really really like that and I just also love how much it speaks to how much she cares about Maddie mm-hmm. too I think their relationship is very sweet 
Um, yeah, I mean, aside from like the the misstep at the end of last episode, um, I think Indra's development this season has been just really strong overall. Yeah, I completely agree. She's a queen. Lady <laughs> is about boss. Um, so now Knight is following Shade Hedda, and Shade Hedda tells him to go and kill Maddie and the Faithful's families, and Knight's like, even the children? And it's like, yes, buddy, this is who you've chosen to follow. Like, how do you feel about that, sir? It's like, he he was the most hated and reviled Hedda in the history of your grounder culture. His, For a reason! His flame keepers literally banded together to kill him. They're supposed to be his protectors. Like, he's a bad dude, <laughs> yeah. knight. So I hope you're feeling great about your life choices right yeah. now, sir. You should be regretting some things. <laughs> um. So yeah, now we're in the reactor room. There's like a lot of like blah, 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 blah. But I do really love this line. Uh where Murphy tells Amori that figuring out what to do is tomorrow's problem. Um, today we survive, all of us. And I do think this is, like, a really good expression of his growth as a character. Like, mm-hmm. for some reason, this line worked a lot better on me than some of the other things that he was doing in this episode. And I just feel like it kind of is, like, an amalgamation or, like, a marriage of, of like, his Murphiness. His cockroach Yes, with him being more aware and considerate of other people. Mm-hmm. Um so I really liked it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I loved that line. Um, and I do also love that Amori is really turned on by Murphy here at the end of this. I think she's really liking this side of Murphy. Yeah, I mean, he's hot. Yeah. <laughs> Won't lie. He is hot. <laughs> so let's get to this last, really, last really day. hard last scene. So Echo is about to drop the bioweapon into the humidifier when Clark's group finds her. Clark and Octavia try to talk her down, but it doesn't work. Ultimately, Raven is the one to get through to her. Anders comes in and threatens to have Echo sent to penance, but Hope slashes his throat and then takes the bioweapon for herself, intending to finish Echo's plan. Dioza stops her, but not before becoming infected by it and turning to Crystal just like the Bardoans. No! R.I.P. my queen! Gone too soon. <laughs> so, so, so soon. Um, but before we get into that that whole death part, Oof. let's go to the beginning of the scene. Um, so Octavia and Clark and all of them burst in right as Echo is about to drop the vial into the water supply. Um, and Octavia is trying to get to her being like, you know, we've both lost Bellamy. I know how you feel. But there are good people in Bardo. And Echo scoffs. She's all like, like Levitt, the man who stole your memories. And you know what? She's not wrong. No, she's not wrong. Um, um, do you want to read Catherine's email? I here? would love to because I think, like you were saying earlier, it's 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 getting to what I was trying trying to interrogate a little bit earlier about the the Levitt Octavia of it all. And so I'm going to read this again verbatim from Catherine. And she said, "I am kind of opposed to Levtavia, not just because Levitt is too dumb to believe." But because he basically coerced Octavia into giving him access to her memories in exchange for him not telling Anders about Hope. Later, when Octavia is recaptured, he tells her how to beat the MCAP, something he presumably knew all along. The vibe I got was kind of like he didn't want anyone else to have his level of access to her. Ick. You guys may disagree, or maybe I missed something here. And it's like, first off, I do not disagree, Catherine. Those are excellent points. Yeah. I I mean, I don't think we've um, made it a secret that we ship things very easily and I will ship problematic ships to my heart's content. Yeah. I can recognize the problematic aspects and still like them. Absolutely. I was just going to say like, there are aspects of this that feel a little toxic. Sure. Um, I think with me specifically, why this doesn't really bother me too much is because 
Levitt was doing these things to Octavia when he didn't know her. Like, she was just some random person, and this was his job, and, like, this is what he was used to doing. Um, and as he, like, kind of came to, like, see her life and through that come to care about her as a person, that's really when he started developing those, like, um, I mean, like, honestly, let's call it what it is, like, hero-worshipping crush feelings well, I of also, her. I, I totally agree, and I also think it's worth pointing out that, like, when we meet Levitt, he has been stripped of his, and I'm not, I'm not, like, apologizing for abusive or toxic behavior, but, like, just to elaborate on this, when we meet Levitt, um, he has been stripped of his humanity completely. He's grown up in this flock. He's had no personal human relationships or connections. He's been a trained soldier for this cause um, and has been told that like the things that he's doing in this room are completely justified for the cause. And it isn't until he starts experiencing another way of life, another way of life and the level of let's just like call it what it is. The passion with which Octavia lives her what life is especially strong. Mm -hmm. She is an incredibly passionate energetic for better or worse (laughs) right and that exactly the Mm -hmm. depths of that goes both ways and so it really wakes him up in a very specific way of like oh my god i and he has to then start questioning his own complicity in things do i think that like there is still some ickiness here Yes. There's a little bit. I will say when you um, mentioned that he only tells her how to beat MCAP when um, Octavia is recaptured, for me, that doesn't bother me because, like, again, like we just said, when he first started doing this, this was just very standard for him. Right. He's grown um, so much beyond, like, he's grown beyond those initial feelings um, and now, like, cares about Octavia as a person and doesn't want her to be hurt, and he knows that, like, if he's not there to, like, help facilitate this, that, like, the person who comes in will not care about her and will also not have, I think, his level of compassion just for, like, MCAP um, people in general, people, like, in the MCAP in general. Like, it did seem even from the beginning that Levitt was very, very careful with the people in MCAP. With his patients, let's Mm -hmm. call them. Um, And so, like, I don't think that it was, like, he didn't want anyone else to have his level of access. I think it was really, like, he thought that whoever would come in would hurt her if she tried to resist. Yeah, I think that's all very true and a very good point. I do think there is a little bit of problematic behavior just in, like, the power dynamic between them. Although it's very hard to discern any kind of power dynamic where Octavia doesn't have the upper hand just because of who and what she is. And she is such a badass that, like, there is very little situations where I feel like she's not in control um and very very clearly aware of her sexuality and what she wants and is very um much in control of that as well i do think where we stand now with levitt making this decision not only to give echo the information she was seeking but then also his you know plea to let him go so that he could warn the guards to Mm -hmm. capture her I think is where we get a little sticky moving forward because I just don't know. I just, they, you know, they just seem like they're from very different worlds. Yeah. And I don't know if this is the match that I really want for her. This, out of all the relationships that Octavia has had, and even the ones she hasn't, Nyla, um, this definitely is the lowest on my list. I actually personally, I mean, aside from Nytavia, which, you know, we could have had but didn't, I really loved Ilian. I really loved Ilian. I can't. I wish I could tell you guys how often I think this is like Zutara. <laughs> I think about Ilian all the time. I was just thinking of him the other night. Not only because he was wonderful and beautiful, but because of what he facilitated in Octavia. Mm-hmm. And I really, 
really wish they hadn't killed him. Well, like, I feel like Ilian was a really nice balance between what Lincoln brought and what Levitt brings. Yeah. Um, he had, like, both the hardness and the softness and was able to connect to Octavia on both levels. Yeah. And that just really meant a lot to me. I um, miss Ilian. I really miss Ilian. So Levitt definitely is my least favorite out of all of her ships, but... Again. I'm I'm thirsty. I'm a thirsty bitch. <laughs> I haven't had a drink of water in this desert for years now. <laughs> also, he's so beautiful. He's just, really pretty. I just like watching beautiful people together. Like, I'm, I'm basic. Yeah. Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> um, so, yeah, those yeah. are our thoughts so on those Love Tavia. those are our Love <laughs> So, in the script here, Clark tells Echo that this is not who she is. And then Echo retorts to Clark that... Clark doesn't know who Echo is because Echo doesn't even know who she is. And I know that that's really on the nose. And I've been calling out some on the nose lines over the last few episodes about Echo. But I actually feel like that would have been a good line to include in this scene. Um, just as I'm trying to follow her trajectory, given that Echo is always so internal about things. Yeah, you know? I really wish they would have included this in the scene too instead of cutting it off. Because I feel like it really needs to be stated that she's not just screaming at Clark it's it i think with the without this line it almost could feel like a tinge of jealousy and i it's not that at all it's it's about echo's identity crisis um and i really love this and i i'm glad that they released it in the script because i think it's really important uh-huh and i i like to see too that like I think they know where they're going. Echo has been a very nebulous character arc to follow this whole season. But I keep, like, they keep hitting a few marks where I'm like, okay, I think that they're going in the direction that I want them, or I, that I think that they should go. I'm still unsure whether her arc thus far has been particularly satisfying, but it's hard to judge something when you've only seen half of it, so. Absolutely, and I think that, like, Echo telling Clark that she has no idea what Bellamy would have wanted, um is really interesting because it's like that's cute echo but obviously clark knows bellamy better than anybody so like you're obviously just in like a, a blind rage right now um yeah i saw a lot of people online not a lot let's let's be honest there's not a huge amount of echo fans um i'm on actually like the more echo fanny side of so things um but i saw a couple people being like Echo's known Bellamy for much longer than Clark has known Bellamy. And I'm like, that is absolutely true. But I personally don't think that Echo or Bellamy know each other on the level that Clark and Bellamy have known each other, honestly, since like season one. <laughs> I mean, exactly. And and the writers attest to that because they wouldn't have included this line if it, if it didn't ring false. Yeah. And it does ring false mm -hmm. because Bellamy and Clark understand each other on an atomic level yeah like, i mean they are like level. you said yin and yang like they really just get complete it. each other um and again this i think this is not so much about the clark and bellamy of it all but more about the fact that echo is is just in a in a she's operating blind you know mm -hmm. she's it's in having such a huge identity crisis that she she can't see a way out anymore and i there was another section here where she goes on to tell clark um that they're nothing alike and I'm just so deeply grateful that they had Echo point this out because she says to them that her mission is nothing like Clark's actions Clark kills people to save others whereas this is pure vengeance and I've been waiting and waiting for a character to elaborate and express verbalize that for so long yeah especially there, I mean like especially in front of Raven I'm glad it was yeah. said it's like there is a difference between 
making a, the tough call and making choices to serve your own selfishness. Well, and especially like, you know, making choices with all the best intentions to save people. Right. Even if sometimes they don't come out as you planned or if they have collateral collateral damage that you wouldn't have wanted. Right. You know, exactly. I Like this was so, this honestly, like my skin cleared up. I felt like a whole I was just like giving me life. I, it was so good. Your crops have been My, watered. Everything, everything has been, is, is okay again. And I, I did want to go back really quickly to um, Echo being like, you don't know what Bellamy would have wanted. Um, which is that Echo, I think, knows that she's wrong. Like she tells Clark that like, if you or Octavia or me had been killed, like Bellamy would be right here. Um but we know for a fact that that's not true because we just saw last season that Clark was quote unquote killed and Bellamy chose to let it go to like help the rest of his people and to move on, you know? Yep. And so it's like, I, I, I honestly don't think that Echo even believes what she's saying. No, she's she does just it. trying to justify her own rage and, and how she wants to express it. it absolutely. That's a hundred percent correct. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to mention that this reunion between Raven and Echo is really cathartic and really sweet i love that raven reminds echo of her her her, blah, her humanity by calling her echo her sister and reminding her of their time on the ark together as a family i mean ultimately echo's desire for vengeance isn't enough to sacrifice her true family and that's something that she's been that connection is something that she's been missing ever since she went into the anomaly and mm-hmm. i love that raven it, it represents that for her um, it, it felt really special um, and a, like almost like a really rare moment on this show. Yeah, you know, we, we Raven and Echo, I think in season five, had a really nice kind of relationship together yeah. that we saw that I think was pushed to the side in a huge way last season. Yeah. Um, and honestly, this season, because we haven't even seen them together. Um, but I did like the little reminder that they did grow really close when they were up there. As, as close as we are told, um, and Mori and Echo grew, even though, like, they've not had a scene together this whole season. Um, I'm assuming it's also that close with Raven. So I did like this, this little reunion a lot. Yeah. And I also, you know, we see here Echo's breakdown at the end as she sobs into Raven's arms, I think really encapsulates or represents like what her grief, like where she is in her stage of grief and that like, she's finally beginning the healing process. Like, we saw her hit rock bottom, what we thought was rock bottom. Like, this is rock bottom. And she's, like, finally feeling and um, emoting the catharsis that she needs in order to progress. And what I I hopefully will see, like, her ascent in the next few episodes. Yeah, I think she needs to start rebuilding herself. Or, or honestly just finding who she is. Because as she said in the script, she doesn't know yet. So right, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that journey for her. Yeah. Um... But I do want to read a little bit more from Catherine's email because Catherine really loved this episode and um, she definitely interrogated a few of our thoughts about it as well. And this in particular I wanted to call out, which is um, about Dioza putting the Gem 9 vial back in Anders' hand. So Catherine says, why, why, why did Dioza put the Gem 9 bottle back in Anders' hands? She's usually all about leverage. Obviously, she knows that they could all fight their way out. But if there was ever a time not to make a good faith gesture, this would have been it. Um, how do you feel about that? Like, what, what were your thoughts when she actually did that? I 
actually, it's funny because like the way that Catherine worded it here, I don't disagree with you, Catherine. Um, but when I was watching it, it felt almost like a like she had finally been able to like figure out a way to give up in like a diplomatic way to like find some kind of diplomacy that she hadn't been able to achieve in her previous life um and really was operating on a good faith standing and I like that as like her last act in this struggle was like one of diplomacy yeah I like that she didn't use as she puts it a weapon of mass destruction as like a bargaining chip yeah um as much as I do think that that would have been better strategically I think perhaps we're trying to see or Dioza's we're seeing Dioza trying to lead hope by example. Yes. Obviously, that lesson falls very flat. Um, so I guess I, I believe that, yes, you're right. It probably wasn't the best strategic move. But I think Dioza is trying to be better, So yeah. which I like. You yeah. Know? That, you said it much better than I did, but no. that's exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> um, and then we see. We see Anders come up with this like speech. He's talking about how they disgust him and they're wild beasts. And I found this hilarious, especially because when he called them that, Octavia was like clearly flattered. Yeah, she, she was, was like, like oh, "Oh, me, a wild beast? Thank, what? thank you, <laughs> honored sir." It's like did not have the effect that he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, you know, Anders is a lot of things, but I do believe that he has good intentions it's just he's been raised um with the wrong goals in mind and with the wrong um idea priority and like what it means to be a person (laughs) so i like kind of do feel bad for him because it's he's just a product of like what cadigan has done to all of these people 100 percent. and he's he's like taken their lives from them you know yeah but i mean basically he fulfilled his life's purpose he died for the cause so yes he did Good for you, uh, Anders. Yes. Good for good for you. You've transcended. It, I will say it definitely makes sense why Hope would kill Anders here. But for me, I don't think it quite feels um, organic that she chooses to, like, finish Echo's plan. I agree. I, I think, like, if they were going to do it that way, they should have at least had Hope trying to egg Echo on during the scene. Um, but I just feel like at this point, yes, I understand theoretically that Hope wants to get revenge. But for her in this moment doing it seems like you could all die because of this yeah you know? it just seemed really really stupid like it just seemed like if you have a chance to get out of here you need to take it yeah and and I, I realize that that's kind of part of what they're trying to say with hope is like she can't think strategically as we've seen because yeah. she's just so mad yeah um but I do still think this could have been the scene could have been crafted a little bit better. Yeah, this I was going to say, I, I feel like this could have played out a little differently and it would have landed much better. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get to Dioza. So, I mean, you guys know we <laughs> are Dioza fangirls. She is my absolute number one queen of all things. I am devastated to lose Dioza. Oh, God. But I do feel like this was an extremely fitting and satisfying ending for her. And as much, as much as I love her and I love her, she's honestly like, if not, she's definitely in my top five characters of the hundred. She might be my top three. Um, yeah. Clark Bellamy Dioza. Bellamy is actually not in my top five. I, I, you know, that's like also another sacrilegious thing, but I think for me, the things I love Bellamy is, is for four is what he brings out in Clark. Yeah. Um, and it's them as a team. Um, romantic or platonic. I was just, I was actually just making this list in my head, and I was like, Clark, Octavia, Dioza, 
Bellamy, Raven. Like, weirdly, if I had to name three right now, it would be Clark, Clark Octavia, Octavia, strangely enough. I know. And Dioza. <laughs> um, I'd have to think about it some more. I, like, you know, like, I would have definitely put Raven higher on that list in earlier seasons, and I'm still kind of navigating my way back to Raven as a character, and I think the writers are too. Um, but, yeah. So, anyway, so I love her that much. Um, but story and character-wise... I actually think Dioza really needed to die. Yeah, I think her goose was cooked. We've, like, done everything that we could mm-hmm. do with her. I think her time has ended, you know. I think her arc is best served going out in a sacrificial way like yes, this. Yes, I totally agree. And I do love that she went out with a bang um, and had that great last line, don't waste this little one, be better than uh, me. It's such a good line. It's um, so good. The one thing I want to call out is that the slow motion and the way that they filmed the slow motion in the scene felt really cheesy to me. It was horrible. And it took me out of the scene a little bit. Like, I wasn't quite able to, on either watch, like, fully emotionally connect because of that slow motion. It, and it wasn't necessarily the slow motion itself, but it was the the way they did it. And, and also, like, there was, like, a lot of... It was just very contrived. It was, like, she slits his throat, he drops the thing, she grabs the vial, she runs over, she turns the vial over, Diosa puts her hand out, the drop hits yeah. her hand, and it was, like so many things in like slow-mo and you're just like what is happening here and then the next thing you know Dioza is a crystal so yeah it was very hard to like emotionally connect with this scene um I agree I didn't like the slow-mo but I do agree that this was a really fitting ending for Dioza yeah but her last line is like she did go out with the bang as you said you like did, it was did. a great last line I loved it I loved it um what I don't love is now we have to watch Hope grieving the fact that she killed her mother, and I'm just like, mm. yeah, no, I'm so not interested in watching a Hope grief psychosis storyline. I'm just not interested in it. At I, all. you know, I was really prepared coming into the season to love Hope, and <laughs> I, I just don't. I know I find her really annoying and Greeting. kind of bratty, and I realize that that is. I understand why she's that way. Yeah. I understand why she's the way that she is. I just don't care. I just yeah. don't care about watching it. I feel in like a very similar way about like the first, the, like how we felt about Jordan for a really long, Jordan has grown on me a lot in the yeah, last couple has of episodes. Well they have really turned that yeah. ship around. But the first, you know, season or so with Jordan, he was very irritating. And yeah. I feel like that's kind of like what we're feeling with hope a little bit. Yeah. 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 All right, guys, let's talk about some discussion points um title meetings in this episode all right I had a little bit more to dig into this episode which makes me happy because uh, I do love this section um so it's called a little sacrifice and I'm again left to question like what exactly is Bill sacrificing um this is perplexing to me I don't think we're supposed to have I mean I, I think what we talked about before about him sort of sacrificing his humanity to achieve like his bigger mission but again, I don't feel like that's a true sacrifice because I think that's the most important thing to him. And he didn't, that would have to be what his sacrifice is, is mm-hmm. sacrificing the mission. So I think it's all very, um, like misunderstood as far as like, Cadigan is concerned. Um, but there were so many other little sacrifices, um, big and small in this episode, Let's start with Dioza. Obviously, she sacrifices her life for everyone, but p- specifically for Hope. And I think in in doing so is, again, trying to prove to her daughter to be better mm-hmm. and to be an ex- set an example for her of, like, where what she should take with her moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, whether Hope 
like internalizes this lesson we shall see I have very little faith but you know I don't want to put the cart before the horse um as you mentioned earlier Indra sacrifices her honor to save Maddie and to play the game Mm -hmm. you know you can't play the game if you're dead and I think she's starting to learn that the, the best way to play the game is to stay alive um, so I really loved that Octavia sacrifices maybe her relationship with Levitt to save her people, which I think is again on the scale of sacrifice a little smaller than what we have <laughs> been talking about, but not insignificant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course there's Echo who thinks that she's sacrificing herself, um, or at least a part of herself for this mission, and is okay with also sacrificing the lives of the people on Bardo for her vengeance um, when it turns out that she's not ready to make those sacrifices at all. And what she really needs is to reconnect with her family and her humanity yes, <laughs> and her humanity, which I think her family brings out in her. Exactly. So exactly. So any, any thoughts you wanted to add there? No, i just, I was just thinking as you were reading these, like, I'm so, so glad I have you because extrapolating this kind of stuff, I just don't, care to do it but I was like oh that's a great point like Octavia sacrificing her relationship honestly like Dio has sacrificed herself and I didn't even like connect it to the title like so I'm just <laughs> I'm really glad that I have you <laughs> so I feel like every time you theorize I was like I can't do this <laughs> I can't do it and you're always like what do you think about this and I was like I don't know but I'm so ready to hear what you think about it <laughs> um what's your favorite line yeah so this was hard I think you and I both there, had to, to, wait can we just clarify that for an episode that I didn't really care about, they had a lot of really great lines. There were a lot of good lines in this it episode. It was an embarrassment of riches, actually. Yeah. Um, I think for me and you, we're pretty tied on what our yeah. favorite lines and scenes are. So I'm just going to go on one way and you're going to go the other. Yeah. Um, for me, my favorite line was, don't waste this little one be better than me. It's because so good. I love this idea of like, don't waste this. Like I am sacrificing my life to keep you from making the same mistakes that I did. I'm giving you this one last chance to like change your ways and like I'm not going to be there anymore to make sure that you do so like don't waste this um and then of course be better is definitely (laughs) leaning more toward the the Monty do better be the good guys um line that we got at the end of season five so yeah I loved this and also symbolizes everything that she like they're her hope's childhood and like the way the Dio's erased her was you know to be better than her and I think it just symbolizes as well every like the whole arc that uh, that Dioza has gone on yeah. over the last couple of seasons is like she has wanted to make up for the things that she's done um and she's tried in many different ways um and she's wanted to be a better person yeah. and I think this, this is, is like this is again this is like her um redeeming move you yeah. know yeah, I totally agree. Um, so my favorite line was this whole long spiel from Gabriel where he says, joining your war to save the human race by renouncing everything that makes me human, love, family, those are the things that connect us. We're not just DNA, we're emotion. Without that, what are you fighting for? And I think what what better message um, in this conversation that we're having in the show, in society right now um, in our lives I think you know the things that make us human make us the strongest and without them we're nothing the strongest and the weakest and you can't have have your strength without your weakness the dark without the light so I love this line I think the line particular we're not just DNA we're emotion I love that idea that like we're the physical but we're also like the the spiritual Spiritual. and and the (laughs) idea that like the word humanity is not just prescribed to us because of like our physicality as humans but because like 
our humanity is about connecting humans to the world and other humans around us. Yeah. Um, it's really beautiful. Yeah. So what was your favorite scene? Um, I really did love the final scene, even with the stupid, cheesy uh, slow motion. But like from the start to finish, from like Echo um, kind of arguing and everyone else trying to stop her to Diosa sacrificing herself, I just thought it was just a really fitting ending. And it also sent Echo herself on a better trajectory that I'm more excited to see than what she's been on currently. Um, so I, I really liked that whole scene. Yeah, I loved it too. Um, my favorite scene um, was the Gabriel and Cadigan lunch. As I said earlier, I just thought this was really interesting and I love seeing these two um, men, you know, take on this sort of physical argument or uh, spiritual argument. Um, and the different philosophies were really interesting. Yeah, Gabriel continuously has been proving this season um, over and over that, like, he was, he's, he, I wouldn't say he's in my top five characters, but he might be in my top ten. He's wonderful. Like, I love him so much. I think that the actor really steals every scene that he, he's in. It's hard because he's so beautiful, but I don't want that to take away from his, like, truly amazing talent as an actor as a performer mm -hmm. he is so good he's also so damn good looking uh, she's just i love him and i i want to marry him yeah. i want to marry gabriel specifically yeah not like the actor but like gabriel yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and that little goad babies um and then we also wanted to give a special mention to the clark tavia hug because we just both really love their relationship yeah it was it was wonderful yeah felt so good so the next episode is 7-Eleven Etheria. In this episode, we find out where in the universe is Bellamy Blake. And oh all I'm going to say about this, <laughs> for now, <laughs> until next episode, yeah. is that I truly cannot believe that Bob wasn't coming back until episode 11 and they didn't give fans a heads up ahead of the season. It is a travesty. The fact that they like let this be a surprise and forced fans to wonder over and over again, like, when is he coming back? Is he coming back? Is just not okay. I mean, like, like he's a guest star in this season, and most shows would have said that up front, like, and and made it maybe more of a marketing technique and, too. And also, like, a, they could have done like a whole. I mean, obviously, if it's private, he shouldn't have to talk about it. But I do think there could have been press about the fact that, like, listen. He needed to take a step back, and that's okay. Like, this is important. Your personal life is important. Mm -hmm. But that means that, like, we'll have to compensate for that in the show. Like, why why hide I mean, it? They did say that. They just said it after the first episode aired and after no, we spent weeks and weeks being like, what the hell is going on? But that's what on? I'm saying. Like, why, why hide when he was returning? I don't understand There's it. just so many things. Like, it just leads back to the show promoting itself. Like, they, they make so many missteps about, like, the ways that they should be treating their fans. Yeah. Um, that other shows know Again, better. I don't think I should have to – I mean, I don't have to, but I don't think that I should be crying after every episode because I'm so fucking frustrated <laughs> with this season. It's just, like, that's where we're at. I cry. <laughs> There's a lot of crying. <laughs> I have not yet cried. <laughs> I have. I cry a lot. All right, guys. Uh, that's it. <laughs> that's our episode. It was really long, as we warned. Um, if you'd like to connect, contact us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That is S-K-I. 
S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at SkyCast. And you can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at Perlman 89 And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And I also just want to say Britt is reading all of this while our dog is biting her toes. So. That's true. I'm in a lot of pain. That is our episode. Until next time, may we meet again. May we meet again, guys. Bye. Bye.